and I went through a wave of emotions with Bali. Like I went up and down and all around. And first I was extremely disappointed. First I was like, okay, there is a lot of sort of what at the time I called it like lifestyle colonialization. And what now, I guess it's just like extreme gentrification. There's just so much stuff around Changu in that area that's just like for Westerners. And like it's made by Westerners and it's run by Westerners and the customers are Westerners and the servers are the locals. And that is an incredibly uncomfortable place to be. And I was like, it's kind of now or never. Like I was 23 at that point and I was like, it's now or never, like just go. I had a little bit saved up, nothing crazy. It was like a couple of grand, it wasn't like stacks and stacks. You know what I mean? Enough to like where I felt comfortable to go off for like a couple of months. If you're a company and you're hiring developers and you're hiring developers from the Philippines, you're going to pay them a Filipino wage, which is going to be much less than what you're going to pay a New York based developer, right? I think this needs to change. I even had one guy message me, a guy that I met in a hostel on one night, like almost a year ago now, but then it was like maybe five months prior. He DM'd me and he was like, I was planning a big trip this year and I was planning to go to Southeast Asia, but literally because of your stories over the last few days, I've changed my ticket to Argentina. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Wingnet Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people in my travels that I want to bring on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Do you fancy some bonus content with this episode? Then fear not. If you sign up to my Patreon today, by going on to www.patreon.com forward slash travel podcast, then you'll find these extra features every week for Monday and Friday's episode. One bonus episode every month, some ad-free content, some early access to episodes, exclusive added travel must have feature on every episode patron shout out some ad hoc bonus episodes you'll get a copy of my digital travel planner which is available on etsy and you'll get my monthly winging it travel podcast magazine if this takes your fancy you can sign up for four pounds seven dollars fifty canadian six dollars us a month and i really thank you for supporting the podcast hope you enjoy the podcast thanks for listening and supporting this and i'll see you soon Cheers, James. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Jet Setter Julia, who hosts a podcast called Belonging Abroad and also is a full-time traveller as we speak. Today we're going to talk about Julia's recent experience in Indonesia, which will cover maybe Bali and Java and other places. I'm keen to hear about how full-time travel is going, some updates on her podcast and delve into some other personal travel. Welcome to the show, Julia. How are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, not too bad. So tell listeners, where are you right now? At the moment, I'm at my sister's house in Edinburgh. Um, and tonight, actually, I'm getting an overnight bus back down to London. So I've got that to look forward to. How long is that? Is it six hours or something? The overnight buses are quicker. They're about eight hours. Yeah. Um, the bus I took on the way up was over the daytime, and that was 10 hours. Bloody hell. Do you sleep on buses? Yeah. I can, yes. Okay, relief. <laughs> not well, but I can. <laughs> I talked to someone yesterday about this, about... In the old days, younger days, I would get an overnight bus. But in the modern day, because I've been older, I'm like, nah, because I don't sleep. It's a waste of the day after. So I just accept that that day is a travel day. Yeah, it is a bit of a risk because I personally never know when I get on 
if I'll be able to sleep, how well I'm going to sleep. Like, I feel like if I get a window seat, I can sleep much better. Yeah. Um, I know it's like hotly debated whether window or aisle is better because it's like you can get up to pee whenever you want if you're in the mm. aisle. <laughs> yeah. But when you're by the window, you can lean on the window and sleep on it. So I don't know. They both have their pros and cons. But honestly, like the train was just way too expensive. Like, I don't know what's going on with the UK trains, but the, the worst in Europe, the worst in Europe. One, they are the worst in terms of like actual trains. And two, they're just so expensive. They're so expensive. Yeah, but even the bus is expensive. I mean, I went to university in Edinburgh and I would always go down to London to see my parents, like, you know, during the breaks and stuff. And I would mm. always go by bus because I was a broke student. But like you could get a return for like 15 pound. Yeah. I got this return for 50 pound. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not that old. This was not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel your pain. I've been booking trains and buses like recently actually for my trip back in December, which is I know is prime time because of Christmas. But uh -huh. still, like, I'm going from Stansted, which is another airport, to Norwich. Oh, it's not even that far, hour and a half, two hours. And the train's, like, £30. I'm like, oh. If that was, oh, like, anywhere in Europe, like, that distance, it would be, like, £8 or something, or, like, 5 I mean, that probably is the same as your flight to, into Stansted from wherever you're coming from. <laughs> so my flight to Greece from London to Athens is cheaper than my train from L London Airport to Norwich. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Why is that even a thing? <laughs> My uh, my mom's side of the family is from Serbia, so we go to Serbia quite a lot to see like relatives, extended family, etc. And so, of course, we fly Wizz Air, um, or I do. Oh, <laughs> that's mom. who I booked with, yeah. All right, yeah. I mean, my good? mom is like, I would rather pay more and go from Heathrow, but I'm like cheap to my core, so I'm like, nope, Wizz Air yeah. for me. Um, and they go from Luton, and yes. Luton is so annoying to get to. Um, but I recently found. I mean, I recently found this is probably not news to a lot of people, but I know there used to be like an easy bus, which could like take you for like two quid from oh, wow. wherever in London to like these airports like Stansted and Luton. Oh, okay. um, yeah. They are not two quid anymore. I looked, it was like 12 pounds, 15 pounds. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? And then I found National Express yeah. and they were seven pounds. So it's like, okay, still more, but doable. And like, yeah. And it's actually quite good because from Baker Street, it's only an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. That's where I fly from Luton because I'm with Air. Yeah, but Luton is a bit mm -hmm. of a nightmare to get to. You're right; it's an awkward place. It is, and it's so confusing because there's like Luton Airport Parkway, Luton Airport, and then like Luton City, like three different train stations. <laughs> and it, it's your first time. I made the mistake of like the first time I ever flew from Luton. I didn't realize there was three. Because why would you? You see Luton, and you're like, oh, that must be for the airport too. Yeah. And then, or maybe I'm just an idiot. I don't know. Most <laughs> people are like, no, clearly it's the Luton Airport, and I don't. It's not even Luton Airport. It's Luton Airport Parkway. I think that that is the station. I actually still to this day get them confused. And even once you get out of that train station, you have to take a shuttle to the airport, yeah. and it's yeah, like yeah. it's just such a faff. And you're like, what? Ugh, and I think any foreigner <laughs> coming in, they see like London, right? London Luton. Yeah. Oh, it's London, but it's not in London. <laughs> it's like oh, way out of London. Two hours to go, man. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're cheeky with that. Well, we still keep going back, don't we? Yeah, we're we still do. Learn back with those cheap flights, they're still like, yep, and you still go. If we're <laughs> there, are like twenty pounds to get to Greece, I'm all over it. That's it. That's yeah. it. I have not flown with Wizz before, so it's a new airline ticking off. Are they? Are they good? Are they all right? Exciting. Um, I'm a fan of the pink and purple branding. I feel like okay. those are very unconventional colors to have on a yeah. brand, so I'm excited to see it. Um, but like, I mean, they're just really the same as any other, um, budget airline, really. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. And Edinburgh. What a place. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite places. A lot of people's favorite places in the UK. How do you find it? I love Edinburgh. I, I Every time I step off the bus or train or whatever to get into Edinburgh, I always just get filled with joy. Like, I love mm -hmm. this place. I lived here for three years when I was a student. And then I went and I did my master's in Newcastle, which is not far away. So, And my sister had started her first year when I moved to Newcastle. So she was up here 
Yeah. And so I would come to Edinburgh from Newcastle. It's like an hour and a half on the train. Um, and I would just come up every other week, maybe maximum. So I was still kind of, I had like one foot in Newcastle and one foot in Edinburgh still. Um, and then I dated a guy from Edinburgh for a long time after that. So I was up here a lot mm. for that reason. Um, so I, I, I just have like multiple ties to this place and yeah, we're not together anymore, but my sister still lives here and it's, it's just wonderful. Every time I come here, I just get so excited. The architecture is just beautiful. The people are so friendly and funny and nice and like, I don't know. It's just such a walkable city and it's so dense with activities of all varieties. Um, and obviously like the nature, I mean, you got the crags, you've got Arthur's seat, you've got Calton Hill and like the yeah. big meadows park in the middle of the city. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's stunning. I love it. I think it actually epitomizes Scotland as a whole stunning country, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in the Northern parts when you go out to the, like that, the outer Hebrides or the, the, the 500 road at the top, I think you're mm. going to see some pretty awesome nature up there. Yes, I actually did that, the NC500. Yeah. I did that last year with some friends. Um, it was beautiful. Yeah, was that a camper van? No. no. <laughs> Everyone that we ran into was a camper van. It was uh it was five of us that went and three of us went in a car and two went on a motorbike. Ah, oh, um, motorbike, awesome. Yeah. yeah, and we tag teamed who was on the back of the motorbike. <laughs> so <laughs> I did stretch on the back of this bike. It was so cool, this big 600cc like massive thing and it was oh, it was so much fun. Rainbows everywhere because in Scotland it's always drizzling. Yeah. The sun was also out, so there was rainbows everywhere and just like these beautiful brown mountains and like I don't know. It was it was really great. Olapool was fantastic. I don't know if you've been to Olapool. No. no. That for me was the most beautiful of all the okay. places we saw personally. No. Yeah, I watched a video the other day of the Outer Hebrides. I saw someone walk the um, the Hebridean Way, which goes from the like, bottom mm. to the top of the Hebrides. Just looks mm-hmm. incredible. Um, mm. I think he tented it, so he carried his tent. But yeah, real real cool out there. And I think criminally not explored hardly any of Scotland apart from Edinburgh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the cool thing, too, is that you can wild camp in Scotland. You're allowed yeah. to just like pitch yeah, it yeah. wherever. Which yeah. You're not in England and Wales, I believe. So that makes exploring so much more accessible and like yeah. nicer and cheaper and easier if you're willing to <laughs> sleep in a tent so yeah definitely i i haven't done as much hiking around here as i'd like to sadly mm. <laughs> always time yeah, exactly. and you have, to, you have to time it right like i say scotland does rain so you probably have to yeah. do like height of summer to alleviate that that problem at risk um, yeah if you're going which to would also be nice because then the sun also goes down at like 11 p.m so yeah long, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah you don't have to rush to camp by 5 p.m to set up you know because it'll be dark because you've got all the time in the world yeah on my list on my list the ever-growing list <laughs> so you are traveling full-time as we speak yes mm-hmm. and i'm gonna start just before that where did your interest in travel grow from an, like an early age was it always there or was it something that grew over time i think i wasn't conscious of it being an interest when i was really young like i i was lucky enough that i have been traveling since i was really little Um, Not on any kind of exciting adventures or anything, but just like, you know, I'm from like a mixed background. My mom's Serbian and my dad's Greek. And we lived uh, in the U.S. when I was a little kid, which is why I have this (laughs) accent. Um, But then we moved to or I was born in London and then we moved to the U.S. We were there for 10 years and then came back to the U.K. And I finished my like middle school and high school in the U.K. I went to university in Scotland. Like so I've spent more time in the U.K. than in the U.S. Um, But because of this accent, people peg me as American straight away. And I have to be like, actually, It's not really. It's complicated. Yeah, it's not strong. Um, I don't think. American no. tinge. I don't think it's like that okay. strong. Yeah, it's funny because I get different feedback from different people. Some <laughs> people are like, oh, you are so American. And some people are like, I can't place your accent. Where are you from? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, so because I have this like mixed background, um, we spent every summer uh, between school years going over to Serbia and Greece to see relatives and we would spend the whole summer over there and then come back to the US for school. Mm. And obviously that's like a super like 
privileged position to be in. But yeah, so I guess that kind of from a very young age, like normalized airports, travel, <laughs> crossing seas. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, obviously there was like, you know, the occasional school trip as I got older, like hopping over to France or whatever to see some things or Spain mm. or whatever from, from the UK when I was a bit older and living there. And like, again, a total privilege. I know that that's not something that everyone can experience. So that's definitely something very lucky. Um, but I think that's kind of where it started, at least like normalizing this kind of movement. My real interest for travel came and I don't know. I don't know where I found this. I can't remember. I wish I did. But I found this Facebook group when I think I was about 16 and it was called Nomads, a life of free travel. And I just like slid into this group and I was like, what's going on? Um it was all these people who just like were on the road full time. They didn't have conventional jobs. They didn't live conventional yeah. lives. And they were just for them, just being free to roam was the most important thing that they held dear. And they just found ways to make it work, whether yeah. that was like hitchhiking around or whether that was we are walking from, I don't know, Portugal to Mongolia. <laughs> you know, like, no, but crazy things like this, yeah, or, yeah, like yeah. people writing like travel. It was basically like travel journalism in this group of people who were just living, I guess, really like alternatively. And I was, my eyes just went wide and I was like, whoa, this is an option. Cause I was very much on this, you know, get good grades, go to a good university, yeah, get classic. a graduate pipeline, you know? And I, I, so I, I never really wanted that, but I, no, didn't really yeah. that I didn't understand that there were other options available. Like the way it looked to me was just, oh, but that's just what everyone does. Um, yeah. So this was my first foray into like popping that bubble and being like, oh no, you can do other stuff. And from then, I that's where I learned what a digital nomad was. That's where I learned a lot about like the possibilities regarding travel. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like, this is how I want to live. So that's where it started. What year was that? That would have been maybe 2012, 2011, 2012. Yeah, I traveled like 2013. And that, that did open my eyes, not only from a travel perspective in terms of like different cultures and stuff, but also I met so many people doing the same thing, which is great. I was like, ah, oh, you kind of think, oh, am I the only one doing it? No, there's other people doing it. But also, Around 2013, 14, you know, laptops, phones became much, much better. People yeah. started to take laptops and work on them. And like, I just didn't click quick enough for me personally like, until like it's kind of clicked now, which is like nearly 10 years later, which is fine, better late than never. But I kind of wish totally. back in the early days, I kind of like was like you and was like kind of switched on like, oh, if I do that, I can do that full time. And no regrets, but like I should have switched on earlier. I talked about this with someone else called Sandra the other day who set up a company oh yes from safety wing safety wing yeah he came on the podcast yes. and done an interview so mm -hmm. he said in those days like we're same age roughly and he's like yeah that's when it started to really turn and he had loads of ideas about digital nomad um yeah some, some people were switched on some people are not i just remember watching like youtube videos of people being like how i live as a digital nomad in chiang yeah. mai like back in 2013 and stuff and just being like that's gonna be me that's gonna be me i was like wrapping up high school and i was like that's gonna be me 100 <laughs> percent." yeah and it's a weird because the mentality is like when I was traveling at that point, it was like, well, no, of course, you need a job. So, like, I would travel six months, right. I'd get to Australia, I've got a year to get a job and save money, and I'd go again. The thought concept of a, that you can do it full-time, not doing that, never entered my mind. And it wasn't until right. years, years later I started to realize, oh, shit, people are doing this full-time and not doing the conventional shitty job that everyone else does. It's an interesting concept. It, Yeah, it really opened my eyes because I'm like, oh, you don't have to live the way that everyone's telling you yes. to live. This notion of, like... Oh, but I have to have a stable job. Oh, but I have to have a home. Oh, but this, that. It's like, you don't though. Like, why do you? Some people have it and they love it and that's fine. That's 100% yeah, great. Yeah, I'm not yeah. shame anyone's lifestyle. Um, But it's just like, I was that kid who was always like, well, okay, but why though? Like for everything, like, oh, but we have to live this way. Oh, but why though? And, mm. and I was always dissatisfied with the answers because when you push enough on the why, there's nothing behind it. There's, there's nothing behind it. Yeah, yeah. 
no one gave me a good enough answer to my why where I was like, oh, okay, I guess you're right. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep going. I'm very stubborn and headstrong just generally. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to go with this. And I'm 16, so I know everything and <laughs> it's going to work. So yeah, it's yeah. hard to explain to people. When I was in school, this is like early 2000s, school was never interesting for me. Mm. Um, but luckily I had an outlet in music. So I was you know, playing my guitar every day. It was, that was my sole outlet. And I get to go for half an hour every week to do a guitar lesson and miss a school lesson, which was like a brilliant thing to do. Right? I can go and tell the teacher, no, I've got a guitar lesson, I've got to go. I'd rock up to school, like normal classes, not be interested and just wing it, hence the time, start the podcast and just like nice. do the grades. So I said to people, well, the grades that you see that I've got, that is what I knew. Like no, no revision, no, nothing at all. So I got an A in history in GCSE. And that's because I was interested in history slightly. So I, I'd done my own reading, not like what the teachers told me. And that right. kind of got me through to that grade. But I got um, a D in German, just wasn't interested in learning German. Got C's in science. Right. I just done the bare minimum. So like yeah. that, that was what I've got. But the main thing was music. And now with travel, the main question is, oh, yeah, what about the house that you want? I'm like, well, recently, right now, with houses, because of the inflation and interest rates, you've got to fork out extra money now if you're not on a fixed rate mortgage for like, I know six to a thousand, you know, six hundred to a thousand pounds extra a month because your mortgage going up. Not your choice. Mm. But, but they always justify it because the house, right? So the house is interesting. When I get asked that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, now nah, I'd rather just rent and have the opportunity to maybe pop to Greece for two weeks or ah uh, fuck it, I'm gonna go to Australia for two weeks and work remotely there or something. So yeah, interesting yeah. conversations. Or I mean, accommodation is something that I always. I would dub myself like kind of the queen of accommodation because I have figured out how to live very, very cheap when I'm on the road. Like I don't have a lease anywhere. I don't own any property like yeah. personally. I just kind of treat it as like wherever I go next. Okay. If I'm staying for a while, maybe I rent something, but that rarely happens. Like I generally tend to use like services like house sitting or like couch surfing or um, I stay with friends or with friends of friends. And sometimes actually this is a great one that kind of happened by accident. I was recently yeah. in Australia and I was chatting with a friend from Portugal, just randomly, just like catching up on life. Hey, dude, thought of you. It's been a minute. How are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then he was like, yeah, good. How are you? Where are you? And I said, oh, I'm heading to Australia next week. And he was like, oh, where? And I said, Melbourne. And he was like, no way. One of my best friends lives in Melbourne. Hang on. Maybe you can stay with him. Let me ask him. I didn't know. I had no intention of yeah. asking for anything. So my biggest piece of advice now to everyone is like, tell your friends where you're going. Because <laughs> yeah. you who they know where you might be going. And I ended up staying with this friend of his for like five or six days in this high rise with the most epic view, like floor to ceiling windows, like for free for like six days. And we had a blast. Um, so yeah, about accommodation, awesome. I think winging it, you can wing it and you can come out on top in terms of like it being very affordable. And then obviously the perks of like, you don't have to pay for bills. You don't have to pay for yeah. like uh, in the UK, there's council tax, right? Which oh. is like, exist where you already pay rent which just seems ridiculous but yeah you can avoid all of those things and yeah. it becomes much cheaper actually i find that being on the road is a lot cheaper than um paying rent in you know london for example and living in london full-time and i mean of course that comes with a whole bunch of that comes with a huge caveat of like okay of course the cost of living in london is higher than most of the world mm -hmm. and of course if you go to somewhere like norway maybe that's not the case being a traveler in norway you might end up paying more but generally speaking, because of the way the world is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think Eric, who came on a few weeks ago, they're traveling full-time, Eric and Christy, uh, they're called Live at Rome. He says, you just realize how much you spend in normal life. Like right now, and like, oh, we paid that much for rent, that for bills, that for TV. Fucking hell, that's a lot of money per month. So when you're mm. off on the road, and like you say, you're getting 
free accommodation, which is something I need to get better at. It's something I need to work on and use those services like you just said. Um, but when you realize what, what your rent is for your apartment and then all the stuff that goes with that, you realize you fork out a fuck ton of money a month just to live in one place. So yeah. arguably you could say traveling around full time is cheaper. Yeah. And I think, I think it comes back to this idea of normalizing. I think when you live in one place, you normalize so much. Like I was talking yeah. to my sister earlier and she has like a little bar cart here in her kitchen with a bunch of different liquors. And she has like a little bartending station. Um, she's not a bartender or anything. She mm. just has a, she's a hobbyist, right? Like she's into it. Yeah. She finds it interesting and fun and she loves serving her friends, different things and experimenting, whatever. And so she was like, yeah, this is one of the things I would really miss if I was traveling full time. And that's funny because like, to me, it's like, I have my equivalence of that, right? I also am a musician. I also played in bands. And yeah. like, when you travel around a lot, you don't get to do that. Like, okay, I could meet up with some dudes and jam a bit, but like, it's not the same as having mm -hmm. your group meeting multiple times a week, playing, working on songs. Like it's a different feeling. And yeah. like this, you can't do when you're traveling or like playing team sports. I also love that. Yeah. That's something that I can't, I can't yeah. join a team and like be there for a season. Right. Like I could go to two or three trainings, but I couldn't like, yeah really get into that community so like i miss those things too and i think it's just a case of normalizing and then prioritizing so like you know mm. like what you were saying you normalize paying rent you normalize having car payments you normalize i don't know going out every weekend you normalize such and such in your set let's say sedentary as in non-nomadic life yeah. um but equally on the other side of the coin like nomads have normalized different things like i've normalized living out of a backpack i came yeah. home to my bedroom in london and i opened my closet and i was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a lot of stuff. Like I very try very hard to like cut through my stuff and like sort mm. of give to charity what I don't wear and keep it very minimal. But even I got home and I was like, whoa, I have a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> by, by comparison, my sister might come home and look at that and be like, what are you talking about? You have like one coat. <laughs> you know, so it's just about normalizing different things, I think. Yeah, prioritization is a, is a great term. Mm. Um, so a lot of people, oh, I've said this many times on this podcast, a lot of people would say, oh, I'd love to do that. But I'm like, well, do you know? Because... You chose, yes. you, you chose to buy a house and that, uh, just accept it. Just accept that you wanted that house and that is your your choice. Don't then say, but I'd love to go traveling though. Because, well, you did. You don't because you would go traveling. I'm very, yes. I'm very firm believing that. Unless the only caveat to that is kids. And that's a difficult one because people want kids and I get that. And traveling with kids can be quite difficult, not impossible. But that could yeah. be an extra caveat. But like materialistic things like having a car or a job is a classic one, a house. Yeah. You chose to have that. And that's fine. Just accept it. Someone told me they would miss their at home office setup. And I was like, <laughs> okay, like, no, but that's fine. Like, fair enough. That's something you would miss, but don't, don't like tell me that you're, I don't know, jealous of my life or tell yeah. me that I'm lucky that I'm traveling so much yeah. because like you clearly made your choice and like, that's mm. fine. Like honor your choice, own your choice for sure. Yeah. But like, don't let yourself feel down when you see someone else living in a different way then, because yeah, yeah exactly. Like you say, it comes to the acceptance piece. And they've got to be acceptance of their own situation. If they're not happy with that, they've got to change it. But I can also see that, like you say, when you grow up, things are normalized. Like you should get a house, you should get a job, you should go to university. Those things are yeah. so normalized and so standard, bog standard lifestyle in the Western world that you just go into them. I was going into them until a certain point and it switched, luckily for me. But up until midway from a music degree, I was like, well, yeah, of course, I'll get some sort of music work and I'll just try and buy a house like that's what I had in my mind and then it's a switch right so a lot of mm. people do fall for that trap because you kind of I don't want to use the word brainwashed but you're kind of told every bloody conditioned. week yeah conditioned yeah that that's what you should do yeah totally and I mean the same goes the other way though like um I for example have to 
oh, I can't remember the exact word you used just now, but um, like I also have to sort of prioritize stuff. Like I've prioritized travel, for example, at the moment over yeah. the team sports and the being in a band. Yeah, yeah. And like there's mm. things that, that struggles that come with traveling long-term, like you can feel lonely, you can get travel mm. burnout, like, the romantic side of things is extremely complicated. <laughs> yeah, we'll come <laughs> when to that. <laughs> all the time. And so like, I also have to make choices that I then accept the downfalls of, you know, like I yeah. made the choice that travel is number one. And the downfall is that all of those things yeah. that I just listed, I sometimes miss out on, even though I would also love those things. But mm. yeah, it's just like a, at the end of the day, what's more important to you? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The one advantage of living the way that you do at the minute and the way I want to do eventually is that you can have a choice. Do you know what? If you said, after oh, six months, I am going to stay for a summer in Canada. I don't know. Let's say you go to Nova Scotia. I'm just going to settle in Halifax. I'm just going to maybe get some work and join a team sport for six months. You can decide to do that with no 100%. repercussions because after six months, you can either decide to stay a bit longer or just go off. So that's the flexibility yeah. of long-term travel, right? You do have that option. It's not be your yeah. end of like stay in one place forever. You can dot around the world if, in theory if you can manage to maybe make a living on the road. A hundred percent. Definitely. And I think also a lot of nomads, what they do is like, I mean, not everyone does it like me. Like I have no ties anywhere at the moment. I just yeah. have my laptop and I'm <laughs> happy go lucky skipping around the world <laughs> trying to like make a couple bucks online so I can keep doing this. Like that's yeah. how I operate. But mo the majority of my friends actually, who are also nomadic, don't do that. The majority of them have a base somewhere. They have yeah. an apartment, they rent and they live with flatmates and they spend a few months a year there. Um, but then they'll jump over to somewhere else and like sublet their room. Um, they'll, uh, okay. they'll jump somewhere else and spend I don't know like I have a friend who lives in Berlin and he will be at his place in Berlin and then I don't know at a moment's notice just fly over to Istanbul for example he's fallen in love with Istanbul I haven't been yet but he's okay. obsessed and like he mm. he's he goes there he stays for three months then he comes back then he's in Berlin for like I don't know two weeks then he goes to Morocco for two weeks then he comes back to Berlin he's there for a month then he goes to I don't know Portugal for two months you know what mm. I mean like so a lot of my friends kind of do it that way too um so there's like there's no one size fits all. There's no rule book. There's no yeah, no rule book. Yeah, right way to do it. Like whatever mm. works for you is the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Going to Istanbul, heard so much things about that. We'll come to travel in a bit. I'm keen mm. to carry on with the full time lifestyle. So, did you have a normal job before you made the jump to like this lifestyle right now? Like, did you have the normal life? Should we say? Yes. Oh, well, kind of. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I finished university. I finished my masters. Um, and then. I moved back down to London and I wanted to work in a startup. So I managed to get a job in a startup. Um, my master's was in sustainable agriculture and food security. So that's what I was okay. super interested in at the time. And I wanted to work in food tech or ag tech, uh, something related to that. And I wanted it to be a startup because I wanted to see how a business is built and grows from like ground zero, basically. And yeah. I managed to get into a startup in London very early stage as an intern. Yeah, I was with them for about a year and a half full-time office job this was pre-pandemic um so you know like yeah. nine to six nine to six thirty every day um and sadly i wasn't even making enough to move out of my parents house so i was living with my parents well, i was <laughs> going to say in town london that must be tough yeah at least it was paid honestly like no. <laughs> <Crikey>. that's a <laughs> whole yeah. other thing like unpaid internships don't do them <laughs> <laughs> everyone yeah. listening don't do them it's not worth it <laughs> i think i think the generation now are probably not gonna do them i think they realize that's the slave labor it is it is absolute exploitation it's not yeah. okay at any point um but yeah so i did have that like quote-unquote normal job um i mm. was in in marketing and i i worked up from intern to like executive over that year and a half and then i decided to quit 
Like there was nothing wrong. It was very strange. Like I just kind of felt the time was right to leave. I had an amazing relationship with my boss. Like yeah. the team was excellent. The work was interesting. Um, I just, it came to a point where I was like, you know, this, this Facebook group I told you about the nomad Facebook yeah. group was in the back of my mind the whole time. And yeah. I was like, Julia, it's been like six or seven years since you've discovered this. You literally have not acted in any, you just continued down this pipeline of like, you know, university, like grad job, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, it's kind of now or never. Like I was 23 at that point. And I was like, it's now or never. Like, just go. I had a little bit saved up, nothing crazy. It was like a couple mm. of grand. It wasn't like stacks and stacks. You know what I mean? Enough to like where I felt comfortable to go off for like a couple of months and just see what happened. Yeah. Um. So that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. And a couple of grand does get you. This is the, the mindset of maybe the traveler. If I had a couple of grand saved, well, you know, that can donate to travel. I know like in Asia, for example, that is going to be one or two months. Like yes. People find it a bit crazy, but you know, that's obviously an enormous privilege that we can go and do that. But that is an option. Definitely. Yeah. And also having parents that lived in London was a huge privilege. Like I was only mm. able to save that because I wasn't paying rent. So yeah. that's like hands up, fully acknowledge that that like parent privilege is real. And yeah. um, not everybody has that. So yeah, big up to mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Key Facebook group. I'm part of that passport, my stamp Facebook group. Are you part of that? No, passport my stamp. Passport my stamp. What is that? What are, what are they like? Oh, this is a bit more extreme traveler group. Hearing people, they put trip reports in there. People are like, oh, I went to French Guyana the other day. Here's what happens. Oh, I tried to go to Mogadishu the other day. This is what happened. And this is what you should do. Like, I know some of these are extreme and like, oh, you shouldn't go there. But it just gets you the, the juices flowing. Like, oh, all these places that you probably, one, not even heard of that much. And two, that's possible to go to that does get you going. And if you're a traveler, like, oh, that is possible. Um, I've got a few yeah. guests from that group to come on. And it's quite interesting because I'm so interested in their trip. What um, do you mean by extreme travel? So the, the first guy I got on, that uh, guy called Frank, he came on, Francois Paradis. Mm -hmm. He hitchhiked in Afghanistan. So I wanted to know what the hell was going mm -hmm. on there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a very cool. extreme type of travel this year that he'd done, hitchhiking in Afghanistan. And I just saw a guy posting there that he's on his last three countries of the UN list and the TCC 330. So TCC is an extreme travel group and they list all the countries in the world, but also regions and islands in the world to mm -hmm. tick off. And he's completed that in about a couple of weeks. Um, so he's going to oh. come on and talk about his travels to every country in the world. So yeah, That's wild. just yeah. keen, keen, not, not, not like every country. I'm just keen to hear the mindset and yeah. how, and the logistics and, just to know if it's possible, really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very interested in that too, because I'm always like skeptical about this whole like country counting thing, because yeah. for me personally, I think I get a lot more out of being in a place for more than a month. Like I found that one yes. month is like sort of for me personally, like the lower part of how long I can stay in a place. Cause it takes me a couple of, it takes me about a week to like adjust to a place. Cause it's the first week is not cute. Like the first week for me at least is like slightly stressful, like a bit overwhelming. Mm. Um, why am I here <laughs> a little bit outside my comfort zone, you know, yeah. but then you figure out the public transport, you figure out like the, the accommodation, you kind of get your bearings around the neighborhoods. Like maybe yeah. you've met one or two people and you suddenly feel a little bit more comfortable. So you're like, Oh, great. And then you go into phase two, which is like exploration mode. And this is like uh -huh. the dopamine's high. You're running on adrenaline. You're like, this is so great. This is why I travel. My life is amazing. And then around week four, towards the end of week four, I start getting a little bit like, settled let's say like that oh, kind yeah. of calms yeah and then it kind of becomes more like normal life um and that's when i start to see nuances i start to see things i don't like mm. about a place because you know at the beginning it's all honeymoon and wonderful and rose colored yeah, yeah. glasses so and, and i think that's where you start to get to know a place it's kind of like when you're in a relationship 
and um, <laughs> you don't see any flaws and you haven't had a fight yet. And you're like, oh, yeah, this, yeah. Is <laughs> this is kind of like once you've had that first fight and you make up, I feel like that kind of tells you what the tone of the relationship really is. Mm. And so this is this equivalent in travel, I think. So, um, yeah, I'd be very interested to hear what these folks have to say, because presumably they're not spending that much time in each place if they're able to be in literal every part of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting mindset. So I'm trying to understand it more. And I've got no you know, prejudice, no like thoughts on like, oh, you shouldn't do that. I just want to hear no, totally. different types of travel, right? But you, I think yeah. you are right. You want to stay somewhere longer because it all depends on the size of the country, right? You're not going to stay a month at Andorra. I mean, you're probably going to stay there a week tops because it's so small. But somewhere like True. Indonesia, you could probably spend a year, right, and go to different islands, different mm. states and stuff. So you are mm. you are right if your ability is there to maybe just check it out a bit longer. And is that what is that what you try to do with your mentality is just to maybe you pick a place that you want to go and visit, but you would stay there for four, six, eight weeks? Yeah, in general. I mean, of course, it's not like a hard and fast rule. Okay. Like in general, if I'm trying to explore a place, yes. Like if I'm going to visit a friend and it happens to be a new place, then mm. it's a little different. Like it's more about the experience with that person yeah. rather than trying to you know be in a bit more of like a tourist mindset let's say yeah okay and ups and downs of full-time travel so you mentioned some already before uh, let's sure. go upsides i think we discussed already lifestyle is a bit freer you can go different places wherever you want as long terms there's no time constraint I, I'd, I'd imagine for you yeah i mean this i think ties in with visas and oh uh, yeah um passports and stuff i think that will vary from person to person depending what uh, passport yeah. I really hope that we get to a point in the world where this is all abolished <laughs> and yeah, like where yeah. you want can travel wherever and stay, yeah. you know, and all the rules are the same across the board. That would be freaking wonderful. Do you have two passports? Yeah, luckily. Yeah. What, what do you have? Um, I have, I have a couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have an American one, a British one and a Greek one. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very lucky. Very, yeah. very lucky. Yeah. It definitely makes things easy paperwork wise for most of most of the world oh yeah that's that's a good array of options that yeah when brexit happened i was like god Greek. bless my passport <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because until then i never used it i was always on my british one because it worked but then brexit happened and i was like oh dad yeah. you really grew <laughs> we're, we're trying to work out what european parcel we can get so we can have the same as the greek one yeah it's an interesting yeah. one i am thinking about giving back my us one because i never use it Right. It has tax implications that are like just a headache. Uh, I'm like, oh. It's the only country yeah. in the world. Even if you don't live there, you still pay tax there your whole life. And it's like, why? <laughs> yes, yes, so, I've heard this. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I mean, I don't identify with the US. I know my accent is kind of American, like we talked about, but I don't identify with it. I don't see myself ever living there. I don't like I just don't see it. So mm. I'm like, why? Why should I keep it? Like, you know, yeah. that's how I see it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So you've got citizenship in all three of those countries, right? Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you might as well give the US the US one up because I don't think that would trump having the other two for the sake of it having a third one. I don't see an advantage that I don't know. If maybe you can go to like some countries easier, but the tax implications, like you say, would be a nightmare. The like, I think. I mean, I haven't looked in detail into it, but like, it seems like whatever the rules are for the US one, they're the same for the UK one. Okay. In general, at least yeah. the places I've looked at and been so far. Yeah. So it's all good. I just wish that I could just give it to, because I know it, like the American passport is so sought after and I just wish that I could like, instead of just getting rid of it, I wish I could like give Donate it to someone. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, really. I really like, yeah. and this kind of weighs on my conscience too. Like this is why I haven't done it yet. One of the main reasons is because I'm like, but it's such a privilege and like, it's not something to be flippant about. And it's, mm. it's something very serious that people risk their lives for. And 
like it's the dream of families and all this kind of stuff and for me to just be like oh just give it away can be very um it can come off as not so <laughs> not so great <laughs> so um yeah yeah i don't know i haven't landed on yet what i'm gonna do yet but it must run out like it must have an expiry date yeah so you could just not renew it i guess is that how you do it is there so, like an official i actually don't know I... thing to hand it back yeah, it is an official thing. And I think if you hand it back, you can't then get it again. So I was joking with my family. I was like, can you imagine a sick twist of fate if like I gave it back and then the love of my life was this like American dude and like yeah. I couldn't move there because I gave it up and like now, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what a decision. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think if there wasn't tax implications, that'd be easier, I could just keep it. But the fact you have to keep doing that every year. Yeah. Just quickly, how does that work? Do they actually want to know if you're making any money abroad? Any money that you make anywhere in the world, you have to declare all of your income to the IRS. Yeah. Um, and then the way that it works is that, okay, so for the moment I pay tax in the UK, right? Yeah. And like, the tax bracket that I'm in is higher in the UK than it would be if I was making the same in the US. Okay. That means that like the amount of tax that I pay to the UK is higher than what I would pay if I was living and working in the US on the same amount of money. Yeah. And so what happens is, the difference between those two would-be tax amounts, um, I get credits for it in the U.S. So I get credits on the difference. If it was the opposite, if like if like the bracket in the U.S. would be higher than in the U.K., then I would pay my tax to the U.K. as normal, and I would pay the extra to the U.S. to like top right. up. Right, but you actually get credits because it's higher in the U.K. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Oh, that's very interesting. But those credits, those credits expire. I don't know how many years, maybe a decade. I don't know. So like you have to use them if you want to use them. Otherwise, if they just sit there, they will over time like disappear. Okay. This is a bit of like the cynical me here. What happens if you just lie? Like, how would they know if you don't, don't know. <laughs> earn money or do own money and it's not in the US? I mean, it's up to you to declare it, right? I, I yeah. don't know. I really don't know. Honestly, mm. tax is one thing that I don't really want to faff around with. <laughs> because Fair. I really don't want to just like do something even by accident and then have it bite me in the butt like five years later. Oh, that would suck, dude. Like, it's just not yeah. worth it. There's some things that I'm happy to bend the rules on. There's a lot of things I'm happy to bend the rules on, but tax is not one of them. <laughs> it's just a shitty, shitty rule because you could like spend a whole year in, I don't know, Indonesia doing some jobs remotely and let's say you, you legally pay tax there, but because you've got American passport, you'd also have to declare it. What's well, point? Yeah. How's that even a thing? It's like nothing to do with them. You, you've gone to Indonesia for a year to work. Like that's... Well, uh, actually, it's interesting that you say that. What has that got to do with them? Because that's kind of how I feel now. Now I'm in a position where for this coming tax year, I've spent, I did the math yesterday. I've spent yeah. 57 days of the year in the UK. It's like nothing. Yeah. And yet, like the way that I'm set up now, January comes, I'm gonna have to pay tax to the UK. But part of me is like, so why should I pay tax to a system that I'm not using? You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> this is this is you want to downsides about full time travel. This is yeah. one of them. All this okay. <laughs> I haven't figured out what I'm going to do yet. There must be some kind of like, I don't know, nomad friendly solution. <laughs> well, I, I asked Andre the same question. I was like, well, how's it actually going to work in the future? Like logistically, I'm talking about like mm. visa situation. He thinks it will change where they're trying to create a country on the, on the internet, right? Where you can actually yes. go to different countries and work remotely and not go through the traditional application of visas. But mm -hmm. I was thinking, well, what about tax though and insurance and like, I don't know, let's say I have a car in one country. Like how do I get, it's just hard to figure out all the rules that you're normally accustomed to with a normal life. But yeah. as a nomad, it's quite a, it's gonna be, it's gonna take years for them to draw that out. Yeah. I love what they're doing. I'm a huge fan. Like, um, 
I, yeah, this whole digital country, I'm so here for it. And to your point where you were like, oh, if I have a car, what am I going to do? This just made me think of something like fresh thought, never had it before. Um, mm. I wonder if it's going to push things to be more like community-based rather than hyper-individualistic. Cause it's like, maybe if the world kind of shifts that way, it doesn't really make sense for you to own a car. You know what I mean? Maybe it yeah. makes sense to be part of like a communal, like car mm. sharing service where it's like you land in Greece. Okay, great. You know that you've booked this car for this day to that day. Like like global car renting, but like yeah, yeah. somehow some kind of halfway house between owning and renting a car. You know what I mean? Yeah. I talked about this with my friend who lives in Scotland, actually. He lives uh, a bit further up than you. And mm. he was saying, like, the community aspect is the way to go. Like, for example, he's trying to build his, like, little farm. And he's like, well, there's, I don't know, 5,000 people around the local area, if you like, where he lives. We all just mm -hmm. need one type of tractor, right, or one type of yes. machinery. And he's right, but there's a problem with this is the whole economy is based on you not doing that. Yeah. The economy of how it's set up right now, capitalism and all that, want, they want you to buy shit all the time. They want each individual to buy a tractor each because that's what feeds the money into the economy. If you if we all start sharing stuff and not spending money, hence the UK is a mess right now because no one's spending any money, then... Because they haven't uh, got any. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know how it's going to go. wages haven't gone up in like over a decade. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the mm. right system is, but yeah, I think you're right. Community aspect is the way. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I yeah, this community community based agriculture is freaking fantastic. It's yeah, it's something that I was very into back when I was doing my my masters. Um, as I mentioned before, like yeah, and it was exactly that example that they gave. And yeah, it doesn't really make sense. And the other example of this has faded out of society very recently is like the laundromat. I feel like in the 90s, uh -huh. laundromats were everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. Now yeah. everybody's got one in their building and it's like yeah, or in yeah. their room, not their room, in their apartment or in their house or whatever. And it's like, why? Not here. Like, okay, you can for <laughs> convenience. But like, you can also just go like a couple doors down on the street and like chuck it in for like a pound and, you know, I don't know. It's just another example of of just like this need to own. And I, I don't think mm. that this need to own is necessarily natural. I mean, it's not always productive to talk about whether something's natural or not. You can never know. But it's not like the world has become this way because we wanted it to be this way. It's almost mm. like we're like this now because the forces that be have pushed us this way, if that makes sense. You know yeah. what I mean? And it comes back to normalizing like we talked about before. Now it's normal to have a, a, laundry, mach a laundry machine in your kitchen or wherever it is. Whereas maybe like 30 years ago, it was totally normal to go down to a laundromat. So yeah, it's funny how quick things can change in a society and we forget what it used to be like. Yeah, it's insatiable desire to own stuff, which for me, I just yeah. don't get. Again, it's another mentality shift that I had is I don't have a hankering to own things. I'm like, I don't need a new car. I don't need a house. I don't need yeah. a rug. I don't need all this shit. Yeah. Um, but people think they do. But I think growing up, let's not get too conspiracy theory here but like when you grow up and you watch tv for example the mm. adverts that come on advertising this is what it does advertising is there to train your thought to things so you probably without even knowing over the years subconsciously now like oh yeah I, I, do, I do want a house and i do want a car and i do want to keep upgrading all the time with a new salary and you get in a mm. rut where you have like you live on not on the bread line but you've got this stuff that you own to this wage and that that can kind of do it you get paid more now you should stay there, but no, people get more and they keep going up, up and up. And that's why people get in shit and get in debt. Lifestyle creep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The rat exactly. race, if you like another term for it, someone called that. Yeah, definitely. It's a weird mentality. And I don't think it's our fault, actually. Uh, I think you're right. It's 
it's other people putting that thought in your mind without you even knowing it. That's why ads work so well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting because, yeah, like, I mean, ads really are trying to hit on an emotion. Like, what are you mm. missing? It's not really selling you a product or an item. It's selling you an idea or a lifestyle or, like, an emotional pain that that thing is going to be able to soothe. So, like, it's not about owning the new car. It's not about owning the new phone. It's not. It's about what does that say about me as a person mm. if I'm the one that has the iPhone 14 before everybody else? You know, like, yeah. and this is another thing that when I push people on this, with the why, why, what, there, it's nothing. It's smoke behind it. Like if someone out there has a good answer, tell me, I'd love to hear it. I'm always open to changing my mind. But for the <laughs> moment, it's like, okay, but why do you want the new iPhone? Oh, because it's new. Okay, why do you want a new thing? Because it's cool. Okay, but why is it cool? You know, you like a toddler, you just keep going and it, there's nothing there. Like, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> why do you want a house? Because you pay interest on it. So mm. I say to people, okay, you've got 30 year mortgage, right? Let's calculate how much you pay in interest over the 30 years. You're paying it three times over I'm like yeah that's a lot of money considering what a house is worth why do you want a house because i want i like the idea of owning like a thing of land and it's like mm. okay what does that idea give you like emotionally what does it give you it makes you feel stable does it make you feel like successful does it make it feel like you fulfilled your purpose as a provider does it make you feel less anxious about having a family like what is the actual underlying thing mm. and all of those things are valid and that's fine if you want a house get a house it's cool but i think that a lot of people don't go to those deeper levels to figure out what the yeah. exact emotional underpinning is. And when you don't have that, I think it's difficult to live from an authentic, intentional place, which is where I think the greatest fulfillment comes from. And it comes back to your thing before of talking about like how we're all on this pipeline because we're conditioned, you know, we're conditioned school, uni, buy a house, good job, have kids without ever pausing to think about it. And it can be that that is actually your dream life. And that's great and power to you. But make sure it's coming from that intentional place that you've really thought about it, that you've really decided, like, here are all my options. And no, I still do want to have that, quote unquote, traditional life. Then great. Go for it. Yeah, my blessing. <laughs> <laughs> it comes back to, and I said this again in the podcast, is like, why do people have midlife crisis? Like, why is mm. midlife crisis such a accepted and known thing? Well, mm-hmm. think about it. The guy gets to, well, could we go as well? Gets to 45, maybe, maybe late 40s, looks back and goes, fuck, I've just spent 20, 25 years working my ass off. And what have I got to show for it? I've got a house that is just a part of bricks that, yeah, it's a house that's somewhere I live. I've got a car that I need to upgrade. So the classic ones, oh, I bought a Jaguar because it's midlife crisis. You think you think you need a car. People just start to realize that, oh, damn, I've, I kind of wasted my life a little bit. Mm. And that has to come down to life experiences. And I'm convinced it comes down to that people just don't travel enough and don't go and seek to meet people and understand people and understand like we're all the same a little bit. And so we, go and meet someone somewhere else and just have a, a connection and i think the human connection is much stronger than a materialistic connection and that's why people are mm-hmm. such shit i mean there has to be a reason people with depression is increasing and uh, i don't know I, I know people live longer these days so you can't say that as a whole but mental health is a, a real thing now like it's starting to come yeah. out that a lot of people have it and it's something yeah. that we discuss i think partially it's linked to this individualism that has been on the rise because yeah. being if you think about it being in community is one of the most rebellious things that you can do Mm. and also being in community like being in you know social having a very strong social support network okay i'm by no means a psychologist or psychiatrist or therapist or any of this but from my understanding is that like a very commonly like um suggested recommended thing is like have a good social system around you that will help with a lot of your symptoms um of like depression particularly i mean like maybe not cure it but like you you will fare a lot better you know what Mm. i mean Um, and if you have community you can maybe feel some type of way about that. 
and then also on the flip side like with i feel like with community coming back to like your friend um the farmer who was trying to share a tractor with all the other farmers around like if you're in community you're able to like leverage the group you know what i mean yeah. so like you distribute cost um so your money altogether goes further and then also yeah. like no one really gets left behind like if you are struggling you have a really tough month you have like no money your community's got you they're like dude we got you and like mm. when you're up and we're down you'll get us and it's all good and there's power in that and i think that it's a threat to like systemic power so yeah. if they're able to split us up it kind of puts the ball more in their court mm -hmm. um it all comes down to power dynamics i think <laughs> yeah and i think people listen to this might think oh well, not, yeah, maybe not my my listening group. If a random person listens, think, oh, just you're just like a bit crazy or a bit socialist. It's not it's what just I consider nice. <laughs> normal thinking. Like, why wouldn't yeah. you want to help someone out and have a community? Like, it's not it's not even politics based. It's just locally like trying to help some people out. That's all it is. Like yeah. helping the other person. Yeah, absolutely. UK is bad for this, and US as well. Like, as soon as you start spouting some of these ideas, you get called all sorts, and like, you're this, mm. you're that. Like, people get really defensive about the current system, yet they don't realize they've been fucked themselves. So. It's a really weird scenario. I don't know. Maybe it'll get better with the generation. You kind of hope going forward it would, but I think so. I I see kind of some of the discussions happening online, like the kind of things that are being shared on social media, and I really think people are fed up. And I really, mm. really feel like with people who are sort of in the teens and like twenties now, I feel like things will change. I really, I mean, I really hope yeah. they will. Um, yeah. But I mean, the perfect example of this, like summarized, is I was at, but I was visiting a friend, and um, they were staying. It was somewhere in the U.S., and we were cooking something, and they didn't have salt. And I was like, well, we're not going to go out and just like buy a thing of salt. Like, let me just knock on your neighbor's door and ask if we can borrow the salt. <laughs> so we did. Yeah. And my friend was gobs. He was like, what? I was like, yeah, we'll just yeah. borrow the salt. Use some, give it back. Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And he was just like, I would have never thought of that. Like, oh my goodness. And I was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> did the same with the wine opener a bit later in the night. <laughs> <sighs> it's weird. And it kind of links back to like this travel lifestyle where I was thinking that, and it's crazy that we've got ourselves in this position, like, so like, like midlife crisis, for example, like let's say you've got a normal job, you get, I don't know, four or five weeks a year. It's crazy that you can't even take two months of the year off to go and live or go and check out a bit of Asia, for example, just to, you know, recharge, see a new culture. You can't do that. US must be even worse. Like here, Canada's two weeks, ten, days. The, uh, ten mm. days in the US. Yeah, so, same as there. It's like you can't actually on a whim nip out for two months to go and check out Indonesia because you've got to come back to work. And I think that yeah. handcuff of a job really gets to people. But I think people feel trapped and they can't get out of it. But I think there is a way out of it. Yes, there definitely is. And there's never been an easier time to get out of it, I think. Mm. And I think that's true with the jobs and traditional companies struggling to recruit because this is weird dynamic, right? I was talking to a friend the other day about pre-pandemic in Vancouver, where I live now, jobs, 80 to 90 people were a job, right? Applicants, real tough, competitive. Fuck, like, I'm not going to get a job. Fast forward to now, post-pandemic can't recruit because people actually say no nah it's not good enough like not enough flexibility not enough money have to go in the office i want to work remote so it's now it is shifting i can't yeah. see where it goes it's such a shame because sometimes i'm looking for opportunities and it's happened in the past couple of weeks that i've seen things that i'm like oh my god this is made for me i'm reading yeah. the job i'm like this is this t i have very disparate like skill sets that are completely underlay and i'm seeing these things that it literally brings everything i've ever done together into one and i'm like i am the person for this job I go to apply, it says in office. I'm like, why? <laughs> so I don't, I don't apply. And it's a shame because yeah. I would love yeah. that work. I'm sure that I could bring a lot of value to them. 
Yeah. And I'm sure that they would enjoy working with me because I actually know what I'm talking about and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, I don't say this to sound super arrogant or whatever, just like, just a shame, just like a lost opportunity, you know? And it doesn't mm. happen just once or twice. It happens a lot. And I'm like, dude, mm. and you know, someone might listen to this and be like, oh, just give up traveling then. And it's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it comes back to the priority thing. It's like the traveling is more of a priority for me at this point. Maybe there will be a point in some years in the future where I'm like, you know what? I need to take a little break. I'm going to settle somewhere yeah. for a couple of years. You know, it's just like a give and take because no state is ever permanent right like everything is temporary so yeah true yeah but at the moment <laughs> don't want to give up my travel so also if you're able at the moment let's not be too naive in terms of like health this is another thing that people say oh, i'll travel when i'm retired no 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 no. like right. you, can't, you can't guarantee that like you can't guarantee yeah, you'll be alive true. so that's another reason to travel is that if you're able and you're healthy and you can get out and about that has to be another reason you, you want to get to like a stage that if you have to stay somewhere for a year just to health reasons or whatever to recover you want to sit there for you and go god i've done a lot the last 10 years that, that all right i'll stay i'll stay around for a year like get better yeah. you want that instead of sitting every year going fuck i didn't do enough when i was like back yeah. then it's very true and i think the way that you travel when you're younger versus when you're older is completely different like yeah kinds of things that you'd be up for when you're in your 20s versus in your 60s or 70s is completely different the kinds of activities you get joy from are totally different and i also think that um when you when you travel when you're younger you're more impressionable you're more malleable mm. you're more um able to change your mind rapidly about things and i mean okay this is a generalization because i've met people who are you know senior citizens who are super cool yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> super open-minded yeah. like will readily change their mind will be like really i didn't know that how great isn't that so interesting <laughs> but the majority are quite set in their ways um and so i think that just they maybe just don't get as much out of it as they would have if they maybe did it when they were younger i think yeah so if you're young right now listen get the fuck out there um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was then gonna ask actually uh, on the list before we quickly get to indonesia and bali because i want to hear about that sort of stuff i got here what was your first sort of like adventure you, i think i put here and you put crete in 2019 oh i love this story it, it was great it really was the pivotal point so okay so i let me take you back. So <laughs> I had just quit this this in-office pre-pandemic marketing job that I told you about in the yeah. startup. I had just quit that and I didn't have a plan. And I literally, much like you, was going to wing it. Um, I decided I was going to come up to Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival in August and work on a food truck that I had worked on as a student. I messaged the boss and I was like, listen, I was thinking about doing this. Like, can I, do you need staff? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, oh, amazing. So mm. it worked out super well in the sense that he needed staff. So I was able to work. And then my sister had an internship in London. So we did a little room swap. I took her room and she took mine and that all worked out really well. Anyway, worked there and I was trying to figure out what I was gonna do in September. And then I realized, oh, September is like grape harvesting season. And I had done like a project in my master's about like viticulture and about like the effects of climate change on grapes and this and that. And I was like, wouldn't it be really great to go to Greece and like harvest some grapes and mm. learn about making wine and all this, put my theory into practice. So I set it up on Workway and everything was agreed with the guy, like fast forward, it's all booked, it's all agreed, whatever. And I'm very much like a do first, think later person. I'm very much like a, it's all gonna work out kind of person. So I don't think about things until they happen. And then I'm like, oh, didn't know I needed to worry about this, but here we are. <laughs> so what happened was I, I I boarded the plane, I got on the flight, London, Athens, and then um, I had a layover and I was going to Crete. And in the layover, I was like, hmm, it's been five days since I've heard from this guy. So his farm was in the middle of nowhere mm. and I can't drive, I don't have a license. So yeah. um, I we had agreed that he was gonna pick me up from the bus stop, like a bus stop 
sort of two and a half hours away from the airport. So I was going to arrive in Crete, get on a bus for two and a half, three hours. And then he was going to pick me up from a specific stop and drive yeah. me to his farm. I was like, okay, but I haven't heard from him in five days. So like, what if he doesn't show up? <laughs> and I don't know anyone on this island except for one family um, who I had met two years prior when I was road tripping around the same island with a friend of mine. And they mm. had a house on Airbnb and we stayed with them for two nights and they were wonderful. And they lived in the opposite direction from the airport about four hours the other way. So I was like, okay, I have to choose because if I go where he told me to told me to go and he was going to pick me up and he's not there, then I'm stuck yeah. and it's going to be nighttime and whatever. And I had no money because this is work away, right? So your yeah, yeah. food accommodation is included. So I had literally like 200 euros for the whole month. So I was not in a position where I could be like, it's fine. I'll just go to a hotel and then figure it out tomorrow. No, I was like every single euro counts. So I decided to message him and just say, listen, I wasn't sure if you're going to be there. So I've gone the other way. And I went to this family and I messaged them and I said, listen, this is the situation. I'm stuck. I have no money. <laughs> My plans fell through. Can I please crash at yours for like a couple nights till I can figure myself out? And they were like, absolutely no problem. And I went and I stayed there. And long story short, I stayed there for about a week. Mm. And they literally treated me like their granddaughter. It was this elderly <laughs> couple. And I barely speak Greek to much to the disappointment of my father. Um, yeah. But I barely speak any. So between my broken Greek and like Google Translate, we were we were getting by. And they were so sweet. Literally treated me like a granddaughter. We're like feeding me you know, taking me around to different beaches and all this. And it was very, very sweet and wholesome time. Um, they were very adamant on me staying for the whole month. And uh, I was like, you know what? I could book a flight home because this is a disaster. Or I can like stay in the chaos and see where it takes me. So I stayed yeah. in the chaos. And um, I basically posted in this Nomad Facebook group. Finally, I posted in there and it was like a full circle moment. 16 year old me was screaming. She was like, oh my God, I did it. <laughs> and I posted, I was like, guys, I will do anything. I will sweep floors. I will feed cats. I will teach children. I will build a shed. I will lead your garden. I will do whatever. If you can give me a free bed, please. <laughs> and some guy saw my post and messaged me and was like, yes, we're building like this sanctuary out of like this 800 year old ruined building that I live in, like blah, blah, blah. Come over. So I went over and typical me part two doing first and thinking later. I took the bus all the way across the island because Crete is like very wide like horizontal yeah, it's wide, isn't it? yeah. yeah. so um i was on one end and he was in the other end so it was about like six hours or seven hours of buses yeah and it wasn't until i was half an hour away from the final destination that i was like this is a single solitary man i am a young 20 something year old girl by herself i don't know him <laughs> this could be really like it didn't dawn on me until i was yeah. about to bus and then i was like whoa okay it's also nighttime it's dark i don't have a fallback i have no money like i'm in a very vulnerable <laughs> position <laughs> oh i thrive in chaos so anyway <laughs> i made a little whatsapp group with my partner at the time his sister my sister and my best friend and not my mom obviously yeah and i was like guys i need to be in this village in about half an hour if i'm not like call the police <laughs> i shared my location with that group and everything anyway yeah i met him and within two seconds i could like feel the vibe and my intuition was like this is fine like this is all good like mm stress and i ended up staying with him for like two weeks um we like cleared up his his little house like did lots of cleaning and stuff and had a blast and then from there i went to the cheapest hostel in crete which was in the south yeah in black yes and that was very much like hippie vibes because the south of crete used to be like a hippie mecca um back in the day and like that kind of feeling is still in the air it's still there lots of oh, nudist nice. beaches lots of like yeah. rock climbing lots of like in nature stuff and um like the, I, I, I literally just Googled cheapest hostel in Crete and one came up, it was like eight euros a night. I was like booked, done. And I went there for the last week. Um, so yeah, 56 euros. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was incredible. Like it was amazing. That trip on the whole taught me so much. It taught me that people 
on the whole are very kind, very good. Yes. They will yeah. help you when you need help. You don't need much language to communicate and create a bond with people like mm. the elderly couple, my pseudo grandparents. <laughs> you know, we we connected so much. And then also that like I can rely on myself to handle these kinds of situations and everything is going to be okay. And mm. once I had a taste of this, like once this experience happened, I was like, there ain't no way I'm going back to an office. What? Are you crazy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's this that's the one where I really like tasted blood for the first time and was like, okay, I need more. <laughs> so it's like create on 200 euros, some stuff happening. But you know, you learn you learn a lot of life skills at that. Where can you get those yeah. like life skills taught in yeah. other situations? Not very many. No. That's awesome. And I mean, I was by myself all the time. Like I, for example, the village where I was with this dude with the sanctuary, um, the beach, it was kind of up in the mountain. So the beach was three kilometers away. And the first time I walked down there, but then when I wanted to come back, it was all uphill. And I was like, oh, it's like 39 degrees. It's all uphill. Oh. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll just hitchhike. So I just hitched a ride back up. Oh, I mean, yeah. it wasn't yeah. far, but it was the first time that I'd done that. And that also kind of broke like a seal, let's say. And then from then on, like, that's how I got around the island. I would just stand by the road, stick my thumb out. And the furthest I went was like, I went about 80 kilometers with one dude um, just mm. to go to a beach that I heard was pretty. <laughs> he was like, oh, it was so nice to see someone doing this. I used to do it. He was like old Swiss hippie. He yeah, was like, yeah. I used to do this when I was in my teens and 20s. And it's so nice that you people are still <laughs> doing it, you youngsters. And we had some really nice, nice chats. And the best advice he ever gave me, he said, if you have the privilege to get lost, just stay lost. And I was like, I love that. Wow. What a phrase <laughs> yeah. that is. <laughs> I heard another phrase of a day. Someone said they were uncomfortable being comfortable. That's mm. a good phrase. Mm-hmm. That kind of rings quite true to me, especially this minute. Yeah. A few more questions before we get to Indonesia is so you're documenting your travels on social media, Instagram, and TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we are going to come to TikTok a bit later because there's sure. more to that for you. Have you found just like documenting a trip? Is it cool? Do you do it like religiously in terms of every day, or how have you found that dynamic? No, I'm I'm really bad at it. Actually, okay. I'm really bad at documenting my travels. Like, I. Let's see. Oh, where to start? I so I've only moved on to TikTok recently within the last two months or so. Before that, I was sort of documenting it all on my personal Instagram, which I've since kind private. of deleted. Yeah, private. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just for like friends and stuff, because yeah. I have a lot of friends who are travelers, and sometimes I find that it's valuable to share where you are in that scenario because yeah. like, and it has happened to me that someone will DM me and be like, Oh my God, I'm there too. Or like, Oh, oh wow. I'm flying tomorrow or, yeah. you know, and then you're like, Oh great. And if you didn't share, you would never know that. So yeah. um, that's, that's cool in that sense. But I, I do try to share where I am and like what's happening. If it's something that I think is interesting for other people or unconventional or different um, because I always want to show people what's possible because yes through this Facebook group where I saw what was possible as a teenager, that's made me who I am today. Mm. And I'm eternally grateful for it. And like, again, this is not to be like, I'm the coolest person. Look at my life. Look at how amazing it is. It doesn't come from that place. If you take it that way, that's on you. (laughs) Um, It genuinely comes from like, look at this cool thing. Isn't this awesome? Like, if you want to know more, here's the info kind of thing. Um, And I've had people message me like when I was in, I was in Patagonia at the beginning of the year for two months and I was hitchhiking across with this dude this argentinian dude and like i literally had people dming me almost every day being like please keep posting this stuff like this is so interesting this oh, wow. is so cool i love yeah. seeing this i think also because it was like an alternative way to travel you don't really hear about people hitchhiking long term a lot yes. so i think that was what really hooked them and mm. i even had one guy message me a guy that i met in a hostel on one night like almost a year ago now but then it was like maybe 5 months prior 
he DM'd me and he was like, I was planning a big trip this year and I was planning to go to Southeast Asia. But mm. literally because of your stories over the last few days, I've changed my ticket to Argentina. <laughs> and wow. I was like, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> Influencer. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So that, that was, that's that's really cool. But like, it does take away from the moment. I feel with Instagram, it's less intrusive because you can make one little video or take a photo and just put it on your story and you kind of forget about it. Yeah. Um, but I did find myself not in the moment because I was busy typing some kind of explanation on a story. Yeah. Um, but it didn't take up so much time. Now that I'm on TikTok, it's weird because I prefer making content on TikTok because I feel like it's faster and easier Yeah. in certain formats, but it's the opposite in other formats. So like, for example, if I want to do day in the life or if I want to do like um, kind of the same kind of content that I was sharing before of like, here's what I'm doing on my travels and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I feel that it takes me out of the moment so much more to the point where I don't enjoy it. So I don't want to make content like that. But then like, that's kind of, if I don't make that kind of content, then what am I doing? You know what I mean? And mm. I haven't figured out the balance there yet. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that was exactly what I was thinking. Like, what is the balance? Because when I was thinking about travel, right, hopefully we're doing it next year, is that I've got like, obviously this podcast and a separate coffee podcast, which is more YouTube. Only five, seven minute videos, very structured though. So they're very easy to do. Nice. I think in theory, that's gonna be easier because let's just go into a cafe randomly in Athens. Here's the local area, like show some footage, go to the cafe, talk about the cafe and the coffee that you serve. Five, seven minutes done, you've got a recommendation for a cafe in Athens. But the whole travel portion, I'm like, oh fuck, like, I don't wanna be sitting there just like, oh, I can't do this today because I've got to do like Instagram stuff, like fuck that. But you have to do something because I'm a travel podcast and I'm talking about travel, right? So, yeah, it's interesting to see what the balance is. And yeah. like How that guy who come on hitchhiking in Afghanistan, he's like hitchhiking in Africa right now, not on any social media. I'm like, yeah. wow, that's so good. And he's like, what should I do? I was like, mate, you do what you want. But I said, if there's one thing you had to do, if you feel like you have to do something, do a podcast because there's audio form and people mm. have to imagine what you're doing. I think that's almost slightly better than knowing what you're seeing because I think people want to have that imagination. That's interesting. I never thought about it from that perspective, but it's mm. true. Like when I came back from Argentina, I want to, I knew that I wanted to keep sharing about my travels because it's important to me. Like I said before, to keep like, I don't know, showing what's possible um, and sharing with people and inspiring them and stuff. But I found that Instagram was too short form. It was too like, mm. it's, it's about quick consumption and it comes yeah. back to what we were talking about before right it's quick consumption which means that i know people are not spending a long time looking at my stories if mm. at all um and it means that i can churn out more stuff faster with less intention um and i thought okay after some reflection i'm going to shut down this instagram which i did and i'm going to move to podcasting that was actually what made me start my uh, podcast got it i was like yeah. a longer form format means that i'm going to spend a lot more time with my content yeah. which means that i will be a lot more intentional about it and then if you do consume it because it's a bigger commitment, it's like 45 minutes or whatever, you will be more intentional about consuming it. And then even though fewer yes. people might engage with it, it's like a higher quality kind of interaction. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So that's kind of where my mind went with that. And that's why I'll, that'd be the main source of my travels would be the podcast. Um, mm. And can, I'm sort of half debating to do like a little um, YouTube account as well on the side, but only like one episode a week. Uh, nothing too like, strenuous. I yeah. mean, you say only, but that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I know. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. I, I know how long it takes to do that other podcast, the coffee podcast, right? I know yeah. a five, seven minute, seven minute video, not including recording, actually doing the actual thing, like just putting it together is an hour. Um, right. And I could probably do more. It just depends how anyone you want to be about it. And like, 
adding stuff in, mm-hmm. clipping it, adding it all in. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fully like aware that shit, that's going to take a lot, of, a lot of time. But there's an upside. If you're traveling long form, long-term travel, well, there's no time constraint. So why can't you do it? Yeah. You know, if, you, if you've got six days of traveling, checking shit out, and the seventh day is content creation, maybe doing a bit of work you've got on the side, why not? Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. I mean, I'm definitely not like completely like time free, if that makes sense. Like I do. That's the goal. I'd love to set myself up yeah. with passive income and all these things. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But at yeah. the moment, I do still trade time for money, sadly. So it's not like six days of exploring willy nilly. Like I do have work to do and stuff, but I get what you mean. Like it just feeds into like the balance of the lifestyle. For me, the yeah. biggest thing is like, I just don't want to be taken out of the moment. Like, yes, absolutely. With travel, true. like experiences are so, so raw. And yeah. so, like you blink and you miss it, yeah. or especially if you're with people, you know, mm. then it's just like rude to be on your phone and be like, oh, just let me just get this content for you. And I never wanted to put, I never want to put the content above the experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's key. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like even last night, Jim Jeffries concert, people on their phones. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? You paid yeah, like what? upwards of a hundred dollars for this ticket. Don't sit on your phone. Watch bloody show. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah That's another weird thing I saw last night. And the last bit of the section before we will get to Indonesia is, like you say, you do make an income on the road. Mm. So what type of stuff are you yeah. doing just to keep things going? It varies. Um, I get bored very easily, so I like to do a range of things. Um, I have accepted that I don't think I will ever be a specialist, but being a generalist is pretty great. So, I yeah. mean, the last, like, the last, um, rather, I should say, I've been on the road full-time for coming up to three and a half years, mm. and for the first year and a half of that I was um well the math is not going to math oh I don't know exactly how long basically I had this fully remote job uh, for for about a year and seven eight months Mm. and I was working as the head of marketing for this tech company um and yeah it was I mean a normal full-time job except for the boss was like I don't care where you are just and we also didn't have office hours it was just like we had certain meetings like we had one growth meeting a week and I had a one-on-one with the boss the weeks in between um but other than that it was kind of like you would all just kind of like agree deadlines and as long as you did your stuff as long as you were like you know keeping it going like they Mm. didn't really care and it was so chill um i think more and more companies are becoming like this i mean they are predominantly in the tech space but yeah it's nice to see the tide changing so that was the job i got that job just before the pandemic and then i was in it for like yeah like a year and eight months and then i quit that and i started i freelanced for um, a US based like organization um, in event management. I was like event manager kind of thing for their yeah. online conferences, which was super interesting because it was, it like, ta- there was a lot of transferable skills from marketing into that, but um, it tapped into also like a project manager side, which was really like satisfying mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. So I was with them for six months doing that. And then, um, and then I, I gave myself like a six month sabbatical. Like, I gave myself six. I was lucky that through those two jobs, I was able to save up a lot. Like, I mean, as we've discussed, I'm also very good at keeping my costs extremely low. Mm-hmm. So I could save up quite fast. And um, then I decided, okay, six months, just enjoy. Like, because even though I had mad freedom with that, f- with that full-time job, um, I still needed an internet connection. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. I wanted to push the travel envelope even further. And I wanted to go to completely remote places. I wanted to go to places where there might not be internet <laughs> job that gets really stressful really fast. You're like, oh, I need to do this for a meeting. Oh my God. So I was like, I just don't want to do that. And that's, that's when I quit. And I've, I've, I've just come out of those six months, a couple months ago. And now I freelance as a science writer. So I have a couple of clients and I write about science and technology and they pay me oh. for my articles. 
Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm always experimenting. Like now that TikTok, I've kind of learned a little bit about TikTok. Now I'm trying to like pitch myself to some brands to do their TikToks. And yeah, I don't know. I really don't know where this is going for me, but like, that's okay. Like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Cover my yeah. costs with yeah. these random freelance bits and bobs. And like, it's cool. <laughs> nice. Okay. Because I want to get to Indonesia. Cool. Because um, you've been there recently. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw something that I posted or I found you. I don't know how we found each other, but I was like, I fucking hate Bali. So <laughs> you went there um, to, I guess, travel and live for a bit. So I want to know, it's been 10 years since I've been and I didn't like it. How did oh. you find it when you flew over to Indonesia? Was that the first place that you got to? Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I, the way that I remember how we met, I saw, I don't remember how I found you originally. I found you right. months ago and I yeah. followed you. And then I saw you post something on your story saying, um, is that if anyone's going to Indonesia, I'd like to inter- interview you for a podcast. Like if you're going anywhere except yes. Bali. Yeah. And at that point, I hadn't gone anywhere else yet, but I was planning to. So I told you if I do end up going. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So I had, I, I knew that it was this nomad Mecca, but I was also Apparently. extremely skeptical because yeah. I was like, I have some kind of feeling about what this is going to be like. And I have a feeling that I'm not going to like it. Yeah. Um, I had heard that it was very much like a place that you either love it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. So I was curious because I also didn't want to like assume anything. Right. I was like, yeah. maybe you will love it. Who knows? So the first thing that like I noticed when I got there was that it didn't look how I expected. Like I arrived, you know, those crazy hectic streets of Denpasar going through Kuta going, I was staying in Changu. So like, yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. So like, um, I just, I don't know what I expected. I guess I expected it to be a bit more charming in terms of infrastructure, but then it was okay. just like no sidewalks, chaos, noise, like shacks along the side of the road, um, yeah. for, you know, like all the like little shops and stuff. And I was like, okay, like, I mean, it's fine. It's just not what I expected, but like, that's fine. Mm. That's kind of the cool thing about travel is that you're constantly like confronting your expectations and yeah, like yeah, internal yeah. thoughts of things. So that was cool. Um, but like, I very quickly kind of saw, and I went through a wave of emotions with Bali. Like I went up and down and all around. And first I was extremely disappointed. First I was like, okay, there is a lot of sort of what at the time I called it like lifestyle colonialization. And what now, I guess it's just like extreme gentrification there's just so much stuff around Changu in that area. That's just like for Westerners and like mm. it's made by Westerners and yeah. it's run by Westerners and the customers are Westerners and the servers are the locals. And that is an incredibly uncomfortable place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I just saw it as kind of like a two class society. And these are like my raw hot takes from like the first few days. So while I'm thinking all this, I'm also extremely aware that I'm very new here and I don't know the nuances and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. My first, my first impression was there didn't seem to be a lot of mixing between mm-hmm. like Indonesians and non-Indonesians, I guess, immigrants. Um, so yeah, that kind of upset me. I was like, well, that kind of sucks because I've, I'd never been confronted with it in such a brutally contrasting way before, mm-hmm. you know, of course, gentrification happens everywhere, but I, I'd never seen it so, so strongly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That was sort of like my first impression. What's the plan just to kind of stay there for a bit? Like, did you plan to stay there for a month or were you just going to see how it goes and just, if you didn't like it, get, get out or were you planning to maybe do some work there and just chill out there for a bit? Yeah. So I, I booked a ticket there and then I had a ticket out to Australia from Bali six weeks later. Okay. But for those six weeks, I didn't have a plan. I didn't necessarily... Yeah. And it wasn't 
again, typical me do first and think later. I didn't check the visa stuff. So I didn't realize until after I'd booked it that actually I would need to do a visa run because yes. you're only allowed to be there for 30 days, but yeah, I was going to be there yeah. for like 45 days or something like that. So, yeah. and I couldn't be bothered with the headache of paperwork and extending. I was like, I'd rather just use the opportunity to go see another country or something. So, mm. um, and again, I didn't know what country that would be. I think I literally booked my exiting flight in the queue at immigration when I arrived. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I booked the flight to Kuala Lumpur. So yeah, I, what ended up happening was I was in Bali for three weeks and then I went to Kuala Lumpur for a week. And then by complete coincidence, found out a friend of mine from my master's was in Singapore and he was like, oh, come. I was like, all right. So I went on a bus from Kuala Lumpur to Singapore. I was there for a few days, stayed with him. And then from Singapore, flew to East Java and then went back to Bali and then to Australia. <laughs> okay. That's a nice little trip that. Yeah. Big fan of that. Yeah, it was a very nice trip, but the whole thing was improvised. Even when I was in Kuala Lumpur, I didn't know how long I'd be there. I just woke up one morning and I was like, okay, I'm kind of done with this. <laughs> is there a bus later today? Yeah, there is. Okay, great. Five bus. All right, let's go. <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. And also for Indonesia, when I was there, it was super cheap. Uh, and I, Bali might be an exception. Bali might might even be more expensive than the rest of Indonesia, but I don't know because not been. It's more expensive than Java for sure, or East Java at least. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you have got some notes here that I'm very keen to see and hear about appreciation. Yeah. Yes. Okay, sure. So like, remember, I told you I went on those waves of emotions. Yeah, I was first very jaded. And when I arrived in Bali, I really didn't want to be like, I really didn't want to like contribute to any kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what the word for it is. Like, I didn't want to be tone deaf about anything. I was very curious. I wanted to like, <laughs> learn about the culture and about the customs and like, get to know locals like this is always my, yeah. my goal, right. And so actually, I had planned to couch surf. Um, and I set myself a goal of like, trying to couch surf that that those whole six weeks and i didn't fully succeed but I, I did pretty well the first place where i landed in bali i ended up staying with this musician and videographer guy from i think from central java but he'd been living in bali for the last 10 years and i was very curious to hear his thoughts on how the place had changed since he first landed yeah. there 10 years ago mm. um what his opinions on like the over tourism is like um how, if the standard of living had improved for him and for his friends and for, you know yeah. like People are always talking about, oh, but tourism is good because it brings money to the local economy and like they can like mm -hmm. pull themselves out of poverty and blah, 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 blah. Um, and he was very, and I mean, I talked to a few people about this and opinions varied across people as opinions normally do. Yeah. So some people were like, no, it's great. Like, I love that there's tourists. Like, it's a really fantastic thing. I love being able to meet people from all over the world. Um, and I did find from an economic standpoint, if the person was a business owner, they loved the tourists. If they were an employee, they hated the tourists. <laughs> okay. Massively generalizing. And I, I yeah. think, I think could obviously be wrong. It's because, you know, when you're a business owner, more tourists equals more money yeah. for you personally. Just based on money. But when, <laughs> but when you're not, right, then it doesn't translate to that. And like, so then that means that that assumption of tourism is good for the economy. No, it's good for the businesses. Mm. it's good for the businesses and that money stays there it doesn't trickle down to the employees so mm. not everybody gets a boost it's a minority of people who get a boost yeah. from the tourism yeah yeah the guy that i stayed with was telling me how you know for example the, the tradition in bali for funerals is that you have the funeral at the beach and he's like but the thing is that these big conglomerates are coming and they're buying up all this beach space to build private resorts and villas and hotels and whatever and now us local people to mourn our dead like we have to go do it in some place which is not like not befitting our tradition and it's yeah. like really shitty you know and i was yeah. like dude that is really shitty like that sucks so that was <laughs> that was my first impression but then the appreciation came a little bit later because you know i did start seeing that in some elements there were like overlaps between uh locals and and like expats immigrants um where you know more pe more and more people i met 
from Indonesia that were there. Actually, I didn't really meet many people from Bali. Most of them were from Sumatra or from different parts oh, okay. of Java. Yeah. Yeah. And we had moved there to get a job, either either to get a job because there's more money to be made because of the tourists or because they wanted to live like a more um, liberal lifestyle because Bali is, yes. whereas most of Indonesia is quite con conservatively Muslim. Yeah. So these were people who were like, I don't want to live that way. I don't want that kind of like strictness and whatever. I just want to be a bit like, you know, a bit more, I don't know, loose with myself and like enjoy mm. and like, I don't know, drink or like party or whatever. And so those kinds of people also came to to Bali from from other islands. And that's where I started seeing an appreciation because I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like they're really excited about meeting foreign people, like in a genuine way. They really want to like, I don't know, learn about your culture. And um, people are mixing a lot in the nightlife and stuff. Like you would see people in bars and clubs and stuff that were all, mm -hmm. all mixed up. So that was nice. And I appreciated that. Yeah. And then and then the third phase of this emotional roller coaster came in, which was the frustration. <laughs> and again, these are like only in certain circumstances, right? Like yeah. I was in Bali for three weeks, and by the end of the three weeks, I was really ready to leave. I was really like overstimulated. I think I was experiencing a bit of travel burnout um, because people are always trying to sell you stuff, especially like the motor taxis. I was so done. <laughs> <laughs> like you walk two steps and someone comes up and yep. they're like, motor taxi, do you want a motor taxi? And I'm like, no, 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 I have to fend them off. Like it really was just a bit much. Um, and it was really, about, for me, it became kind of like a practice in trying to like uh, honor and validate my like frustration with the situation with mm. like, oh my God, you see me like a money bag and blah, blah, blah. Um, and just like, leave me alone. Let me walk for like five minutes. Um, holding that and validating that for me and not like trying to like talk myself out of feeling that way or feeling bad about feeling that way. But at the same time, like holding compassion for them and their situation and understanding that like, but I kind of am a money bag in some sense, like from, from some perspective. And like, if the positions were switched, you know, if I was the one who needed like a passenger on my motor taxi so I could like, take care of my family, I might also be like sure. texting people all the time being like, oh, please take a taxi ride, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I don't say that to like deme demean them or degrade them in any way, but it's just like another, another perspective that could possibly be true. Like I, I tried to chat to the, <laughs> the drivers as much as I could. And one of them told me that he drives from 10 AM to 8 PM, six days a week to be able to like feed his like 14 month old daughter. And I was like, damn, okay, yeah, I will tip you for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got pestered so much in Bali. That was, that's weird because we went to Southeast Asia before, right? Mm -hmm. Bangkok is can be pretty bad. It's, it's way, way Western now, like compared to what it was 10 years ago. But Bali was a different level. And I think that got to us. And mm -hmm. it was really strange. You, you talk about impressions about Bali, what you expecting, right? I was expecting like a little paradise because don't forget yeah. in 2012 when I was booking this trip, no Instagram. Facebook right. was barely a thing. No smartphones, really. So I wasn't like conditioned by what I saw on Instagram. Like, yeah, now you see Bali on Instagram. Now you think it's like the best place since sliced bread, right? Mm. So I was going, even I've heard people say, oh, it's amazing. But when I got there, like, you, I can't even imagine what it's like now. But back then I was like, bloody hell, like super conser conservative country as a whole. Land yeah. in Kuta, fucking hell, there's like needles on the beach there's like people offering you drugs i'm like oh what is this place i didn't expect this to oh wow to be a thing and like aussie bars everywhere and like pissed up 18 year olds like brits go to like greece or spain and get boozed up when they're 18 19 yeah. aussie groups there as well i was like oh no this is not what i was expecting mm. so it really was a letdown mm -hmm. mm. yeah. yeah and uh, you, you make some good points though like being older now i'd want to maybe go and speak to some locals and meet some locals really but i found it really hard mm. where we stay in queue to meet any locals because they're all just like serving mm. us to an extent mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly and that's an uncomfortable dynamic to be yeah. in 
Um, and I mean, I, I was really lucky that like that first guy that I couch surfed with, I was with him for three days and he was a musician and he took me to um, like a musical jam night that he was a part of. And so there yeah. I met more um, musicians, also all locals. And then uh, I got on with one of them really well. And then I was like, oh, I'm looking for a place to stay. Do any of your friends like have space, like whatever. Like I never expect anything from people, but at the mm. same time, like there's no harm in asking. So like, I will always ask what I need. You know what I mean? Um, and then they're always free to say no. So like, I was like, yeah, I need a place for like two nights. Like, I don't know if you have space or like if, you mm. know, someone who maybe does and whatever. And it turned out that they did. And they ended up letting me stay for like, actually it worked out really well because they worked also as a videographer and they were shooting like, I think a movie or like a TV show or something in another part of the island. And yeah. he was going to be gone for like six days. And his house was just going to sit empty. So he was like, actually, it's perfect. Why don't you stay? You can feed my cats. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sick. Cool. He left me his motorbike, everything. And I was like, oh, oh dude. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just kind of, it just kind of snowballed. I feel like you just need one in and then it just like network effects. Like I ended up spending most, I actually didn't really meet any expats when I was there. Cause Dream. I was just, like, yeah, I mean like these guys just um would spend their afternoons like going to the beach for sunset sitting outside of like a surf bar and mm. playing guitar and just like singing along like reggae songs or like they the guy bought a cajon at one point and i i'm a drummer so they were like oh get on the cajon and i did oh, and they were like nice <laughs> and we were really just sit there and jam for like hours and we yeah. did this like most days so this is this is how i passed the time um, that. and it was, that'd be awesome it was really really fun or if they had like a live show at some bar in Samyak or whatever like they'd be like oh we're playing on wednesday come juju come <laughs> i'm like okay i will be there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh yeah it was it was very cool feeding me left right and center <laughs> yeah yeah i was really i'm really glad to hear that you actually mixed in with the locals oh yeah because i think yeah i don't know if you found this but when you hear people on instagram or talk about it or even instagram you put bali in right all you're going to see is as like paradise, but also it's all drawn up by what I would maybe say is digital nomads. Actually, it's quite a lot who are based there. Yeah. And they draw this picture of what it's like to live there. But I think people would get pretty shocked if they land in Kyoto. It was like, Oh God, I didn't expect this. Um, yeah. But I don't know if you found that there's two parts to it. There's maybe the locals that you experience, which is great. But the other half is this expat community, which I don't know where they're based on Bali, but I'd imagine a lot of people would know each other on the island that are westernized yes. but don't actually go in to speak to the locals yeah i don't know i hesitate to speak on that just because you know like i said i didn't interact with expats so much mm. so i don't know and i don't want to just be cynical and be like yeah they're all separate and all the expats suck and because i mean that can't be true like that can't be true can't be true um, hopefully yeah arrogant of me to say so and actually one of my good friends um <laughs> from that first london office job that i had in the startup <laughs> He now lives in Bali uh, uh. with his wife <laughs> full time and they've lived there since since the pandemic. Actually, they yeah. were in Thailand and went to Bali for a visa run and got locked down on their two week visa run and ended up just turning lemons into lemonade. And now they have a house, <laughs> they have a dog, like everything. And they they weren't planning to, but they just settled down there and they love it. So um, it was cool to see to see them mm. and like see how they move in those spaces. And they very much do interact with with a lot of locals like they're making efforts with the language. Um, yeah that's good is, yeah. which i think is wonderful yeah so i mean actually not wonderful it's kind of like minimum <laughs> <laughs> if you stay there for years like you know it's kind of expected but um i but i wonder though with the amount of people expats going there would it make it a really like, expensive place though eventually i don't yes, know yes it is and the price is going up insanely much like mm. i had a friend there um german friend of mine that happened to be there same time as me so we hung out a little bit and um 
he was staying in guest houses and he was you know doing the typical stuff like yeah. um i tried to stay away as much as i could and like so it was cool to see it from his perspective i guess he was like the proxy for me to get an eye on that kind yeah. of way in bali and like he would rent uh he rented his guest room for one month for like five million um rupiah and then which oh my god don't ask me to convert it now i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um and then for comparison one of the places where i stayed an apartment where i stayed was the, the local guy was paying seven hundred thousand for the month oh wow so it's almost 10 times as much for a Whoa. tourist right to give you some kind of sense yeah he from one month to the next they raised the price to 7.5 million that's how fast the prices are going up. And he was like, nope, I'm out. That's insane. Whoa, crazy. <laughs> um, the thing is that if you convert that to like, um, compare it to like, I don't know what you would pay in Western Europe for rent, mm. it still comes out much less. So it's interesting how in one part of the world, we're willing to pay for that much. And in another part of the world, we're not willing to pay for that much. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. My, my question wasn't really from like an expat point of view. Imagine if, just, if you're Balinese and you're like, oh, fuck, all the prices are going up and it's not even your fault. Like, yes. Yeah. It's just because everyone's moving there. All these like, digital nomads because you can get digital nomad visa in indonesia now so you can just go to bali and set up shop and I, just, I just wonder if if you're bringing a western income to the yes. island that's going to drive up prices and it might even drive all locals back they came to bali they might have to go back to java or Sumatra, wherever they came from just to live i don't know if that's going right. to be a thing yeah yeah it's a big issue um in all nomad hotspots it's it's a double-edged sword like it's something mm -hmm. that isn't like digital nomadism i don't think is something inherently good or inherently bad like anything it matters how you handle it yeah. and i think that there's an opportunity for governments and policymakers and nomads and local communities to all work together to like god i sound like a politician jesus christ I don't <laughs> <laughs> and we will pave the way for greatness no <laughs> yeah. um there's an opportunity there to like build something that works for everybody as much as it can um, and I think that if it is neglected, it will become because in this world that we're in, whether you like it or not, money wins. And like, if you don't act strategically and tactfully early on, it will turn into that. And then we're going to have like a brave new world type situation, which is really shit. And like, then, of course, the locals are going to be pissed and like um, digital nomads are going to just be like this hated group of people. There are already people who hate anyone who calls themselves a digital nomad. They think yeah. it's pretentious and annoying and like rude and unethical and all this. And I'm like, it can be mm. for sure but it doesn't have to be. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's, we're still in the infancy of this and sadly, like these prices are moving very fast. Yeah. Cause when I was talking to Sandre about it, he said a big group, uh, you know, one group of people who buy his insurance are living in Bali. That's like a big mm -hmm. group that he has there. I, I, was, I wasn't surprised at that, but anything I was thinking when he was talking about the, their project of making the global passport and, you don't have to have visas to go anywhere. You can just join this community online and that, that'd be enough to work. I was thinking, well, at the minute, if that was across the board, right, there's no visa, right? You can go and work anywhere, which you can technically, if you've got a laptop and you can work, you can go to any tourist visa country and just live and just work, right? You don't have to pay tax in that country. Well, why would you go somewhere like Norway when it's fucking expensive, when actually you can go to Sumatra and live like a king on the same wage? So I think, oh, but all these people are never going to digitally nomad work in a Western country because they're going to find it too expensive. They're going to go east to Asia, right? Or Africa. Right. right. And I was thinking, oh, how'd you get over that problem? I don't know. I just got a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, I think one, I don't know how this fits in as like a, as a solution, but it feels like it's adjacent to the conversation, which is like, what I see a lot of the times is, you know, people will offer like companies or individuals who are hiring for anything, right? 
will tend to want to pay based on what is a normal wage in the place where their future employee is based. That sounds so complicated. What I mean oh, is like, okay. if, yeah, you, yeah. if you're a company and you're hiring developers and you're hiring developers from the Philippines, you're going to pay them a Filipino wage, which is going to be much less than what you're going to pay a New York-based developer, Yeah. right? I think this needs to change. I yes. think that if someone is bringing value to your business, you pay them based on the value they bring, period. If I am the one in New York and you're paying me X and I choose to up and leave and go to Thailand or whatever, my pay should stay the same. Similarly, the person in the Philippines should make a New York wage. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Period. Like, because mm. it, we, we've gone from like a time, a time based and a geography based economy, let's say, where like as in people's time is worth X money um, or where people live translates to X amount being the average wage. I think mm. we're, we're moving to or at least I think we should move to a more value based yeah. economy where it's like pay me based on what I do for you, not how long it takes me or where I live or any other things that like can change at any time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Even here, when you come to get a permanent residency, which we have got in Canada now, one of the requirements is one year Canadian work experience. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, mm. If you're from India and you've been managing a team for 10 years successfully, you can't mm. get this PR because you've not had one year working in Canada. Like, what does that even mean? Mm. That's a problem. People can't, people have to work here a year first. They're probably doing a shitty job that they're overqualified for just to get that one year ticked off in the box. Crap it's rule. so patronizing. Yeah, it's patronizing. patronizing. It's awful. It's yeah, discrimination, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awful. To finish on Indonesia, Java as a place. Yeah. yeah. Um, don't know too much about it. How did you find that? It was cool. It was cool. Um, I was in two parts. I went to Malang, which is one of the main towns, and then I went to um, Banyuwangi. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is like all the way on the east side, like right on the water. So you can get a ferry from Banyuwangi to like the westernmost part of Bali and it only mm. takes like I don't know just under an hour or something it's very close yeah so those two places like Java has a very different feel than Bali um there are almost no like foreigners there there's no tourists not really um and there I did stay in hostels and first of all yes it was much cheaper than Bali um mm. even like hostels were like half the price than what the hostels in Bali are yeah. because there's not a lot of people around like I think in Bali you know before I was saying it can get a bit intense with like trying to sell to you and all this kind of stuff mm. like it's kind of like I mean anything it's a learned behavior right like yeah. and because there aren't so many tourists in East Java that's not there yet so like the way they treat you is completely different super curious super friendly super open like mm. I'll tell you a quick story that kind of encapsulates it <laughs> I went for a walk for my hostel I needed to get some food and I wanted to go to like a Warung get some you know local flavors yeah. So I was just walking around and I was like, when I see the right one, I'll know it and I'll just go to it and get some food. So I walk, 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 walk. I eventually found one and I was like, okay, great. Um, I think it was Nasi Pechel or something. And I hadn't seen that before. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to try this. I have no idea what it is, <laughs> which is always like a Russian roulette kind of game. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was like, okay, Nasi Pechel. I haven't tried this yet. It's delicious, by the way, if you haven't tried it. So good. Yeah, no, um, Okay. And... I go up and I tell the woman, I just kind of, I mean, I assume she doesn't speak English. So I just kind of point to like on the sign what I want. Eventually she, I think she was like really excited that like an English speaker was there or like, like a foreigner was there. Mm. She ran to the back to get a guy. I assume it's like her husband or her brother or something. I don't know. And he comes out and he doesn't speak English. So he gets on the phone and he calls someone and I'm like, just sitting there waiting for my food. Like, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like this is all happening in the background. I didn't yeah. realize that this was going on until this guy comes to me with his phone and he gives me his phone and he's like, 
like take it like here like yeah. nudging me sort of to take it i don't know what he wants so i'm like taking this phone i don't know who's on the other end i don't know what they want i have no idea so i'm like hello <laughs> and the guy speaks back to me like in pretty good english being like hello like i'm this guy's brother like welcome to this um warung <laughs> like he was fully being like what can we do for you like how long are you here where are you staying what do you need if you need anything you call me this is my oh, name wow. here is my number like he was fully like you know going for it and i was like oh wow this is That's awesome what a, what a welcome yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and he was like i'm in uh jakarta right now so i can't help you but i will be when are you leaving malang i will be back on this day maybe we can meet <laughs> oh, that's brilliant yeah yeah, yeah. that's was, what you was, want that's what you want that like local it. interaction right yeah yeah it, it was just a huge surprise like it came out of nowhere and then when the food came out and the the woman gave me my food she was like smiling a lot and um she took out her her camera and started taking pictures of me in their warung with their food oh, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. Asked, me, asked me to say something and made a video of me saying something i just went along with it i mean it was a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable i was like i just really want to eat and then go back to my hostel but at the same time i was like this is pretty great like watching yeah, this yeah. all happen you know it was and cool. the language they speak i guess is, is it indonesian is that was yeah it must be indonesian right or the they Okay. Bahasa is the is the like national language, but then yeah. like every island has like their own. I like to say, um, must have their own dialect yeah. there, surely. Yeah, so like Balinese is kind of like a different language. I don't even yeah. think it's a dialect. I think it is like a different language. Uh -huh. um, okay. And then in Java, like Javanese is also a different. Javanese, okay. I think so. Yeah, but yeah. And you said super keen. Yeah, no tourists there. So I think this is where I think travelers need to get to these places that got no tourists. This is why Indonesia is so it piques my interest because there's so many different islands isn't there you can go to yeah they take but don't go to bali i mean you can go to bali but like it's the cliche place to go like i don't think you get too much out of it i reckon you go to java or sumatra or somewhere yeah or florida like an island and just go and check it out i'll see the yeah. komodo dragons <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> even yeah. lombok next door to bali which is gaining a bit more popularity even that will probably still be a bit more authentic Although I will say, I, I always made a point to ask people which island they were from when I met them, because I mean, it's, yeah. you, you, you shouldn't assume that they're from the place where you meet them. And so I always asked and they would talk about, oh, my family's back in this island. My family's back in that island, throwing names at me that I never heard of. And I was like, oh, cool. So like, do you think I should visit this island? And a lot of them would say like, no, because it's not safe to go alone. Like it's actively dangerous. Like one guy was oh. telling me, I can't remember the name of the island. It was like Seoul. Or something that sounded like soul I, mm. I can't remember what it was but he was like no no it's like really dangerous like if you come with me and we go together like sure but like there's places that you don't go at night there's places that you don't go as a girl alone like you just don't because there's like mafia and like all this stuff and i was like oh, really God. so yeah. there is an element of safety to consider i mean these yeah. places are tourist places for a reason i guess um but equally like there's more than just bali for sure yeah. <laughs> actually yeah. they, did, they did tell me that about java like my friends that i made in bali were like don't go to java alone because not because it's unsafe and like dangerous but because like they don't they didn't think i was going to have a good time because they were like people are not used to foreigners people aren't used to tourists they don't know how to act so you're going to get a lot of people staring at you you're going to get people taking photos of you you're going to get basically like bothering you um because you're like a novelty and like you might not have a good time and also it's very conservative so like for a girl to be by herself is kind of weird because normally you're with like your boyfriend or your mm. father or whatever um and they just didn't think i was gonna have a good time but i was like all the more reason to go yeah yeah if someone tells <laughs> as that as long as it's nah, not like actively <laughs> dangerous to my physical self like yeah sure let's try it and yeah. i'm glad i went because i got to see i got to see that side of things and yeah it was it was cool so you would recommend java as a as an island to go and check out if you're Think about it and going to Indonesia. Definitely, and it's not like it's completely devoid of infrastructure. Like there are tour groups going to do yeah, stuff, yeah. and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 all the travelers I did meet in my hostel were kind of all on the same circuit. Um, 
in Java, it's just that there's a lot fewer of them, you know? Yeah. So there is still like, a, let's say, tourist trail in Java and things mm. that everybody kind of goes and does, like the Bromo uh, volcano or like the Ejen crater in Bangyuangi. Like those are two things that I did that pretty much everybody that I met did. Cool. Good recommendations. I like that. Argentina, Patagonia. So you're there for two months this year? Yeah. Wow. I'm actually going, I'm actually going back in two weeks. <laughs> no way. Oh, wow. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you'll, you'll be there when this is released. So... Yeah, oh, that, cool. that's gonna be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, tell tell listeners like, why are you going back? Like, is it is it that good? It is that good. I actually <laughs> love it. It's, yeah. No, really, it's I freaking love Argentina so much. And I mean, it also doesn't hurt that like that guy that I hitchhiked with, we're now kind of together. So, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's right. nice to go back. It's gonna be cool to go back to him after six months of being yeah. apart. Um, so. Yeah, but I, I fell in love with Argentina before I met him. I just want to caveat that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a wonderful place. The people are so friendly, like epic mm. people. I, I feel a lot of kinship to them because they remind me a lot of Serbian people. Okay. Um, there's a lot of uncanny similarities between the two cultures to the point where I was there like Googling about like the history, if there is any kind of connection, if there was some mass migration or if like, right. I don't know, something. But um, yeah, there's a lot of cultural similarities like... Uh, yeah, in the music and also in like phrases that people use and also in the attitude towards like friendships and socialization and life. Mm. And so it was a comfortable place to be for me from that perspective. Um, my Spanish is also pretty good. So communicating with oh, okay. like quite easy. I'd say, I mean, I'm not fluent, but like I, I can yeah. get by quite, quite well, yeah. have full on conversations and stuff. So that definitely helps um, because outside of Buenos Aires, it's not a guarantee that people will speak English and Patagonia, yeah. definitely not. <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. So, yeah. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I was in Buenos Aires for a month in total, um, but then I was also in Patagonia for two months total. One month in one village, just doing lots of hiking, and then yeah. one month hitchhiking with this guy up um, all the way up to Bariloche, which is kind of like the northernmost part of Patagonia. The bit where you stayed in the one village is that just doing like two or three day hike trips, then come back to the village. That that was your base. This village has such a special place in my heart. It's incredible. What's it called? It's called El, El Chalten. Okay. And it's like population 500. It's called like the the hiking capital of um, of Argentina or of, oh, or of Patagonia. Okay. I can't remember, yeah. but it's basically like the if you want to trek, like this is your jumping off. Um, it's it's a village inside the national park, so you don't really have to like pay entry or like do anything. Like once you're in the village, you literally just like walk off the end of the village road and you're in the mountains. And so then you just keep going and going, going. And it's beautiful. Like, it's insane. There's like, it's really well organized. There's lots of like camping grounds around. You can literally just set up at any designated camping ground. Um, mm. There are lots of circuits that you can do. And I wasn't even hiking every day. Like I was hiking every couple of days. I didn't do any multi-day hikes, sadly. Okay. Um, when I go back, I will. But yeah, at that time, it was just the day hikes. I did I did camp like in a few campgrounds, but it wasn't like camp, hike, camp Got in it. another place. Hike, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it was it was it was beautiful. And like <laughs> the cool thing was that you'd go out, you'd be hiking all day and then you'd come back to the village. And because it was literally like one street and a few blocks wide, um, you would just bump into people all the time that course. were there. Yeah. And uh, there was such a lit nightlife. Like, oh, my gosh, there was a party in a different bar every other. There was like <laughs> three bars or so that always had the parties on rotation and people throw it back. Like people party until five, six in the morning. Classic Argentinians, that. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and you're destroyed and they're like, okay, we're going on a hike now. And, yeah. 
I don't remember how it happened. I I also was very lucky in the sense that I fell in with locals there too. So mm. I oh I, that was it. I was I was in um I went on a little hike by myself one day. Just I don't know. I was feeling a bit low, and I thought if I just go for a walk, I'll feel better. And I saw a dude sitting at this viewpoint on like the top of like a bunch of rocks, and I was like, that's my dude. Like that's this guy seems cool. So I went up to I went up the rocks also for like the view, but then started chatting to him. And um, turns out he was a mountain guide in the area who'd been living there for seven years. Oh, wow. And he was like, do you want to go for a walk? I was like, let's go for a walk. Cause we were planning to hike the same direction. So I was like, oh, let's just go together. We ended up hiking. We were planning to hike four kilometers there and back. So like eight in total. We yeah. ended up hiking for like t- over 25 kilometers together. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then we hitchhiked back. And then from then on me and him just hung out. He would like take me on all these different trails, show me like hidden waterfalls that like you really couldn't find unless you knew mm-hmm. where they were. And, like that was really cool. And then he told me in the gymnasium, there's volleyball every Tuesday and Thursday. And I was like, okay, cool. I used to play volleyball a lot. Like, let's yeah. go. And I went there, met more locals there and just like ended up staying at their houses and like working in their kiosks, helping <laughs> 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 out. Like, you know, I slept in the back of a kiosk for three nights. Like, I don't know. It was just like very cool vibes, like very nice place. When I when I left, I actually cried on the bus out. I cried. And oh, that doesn't happen to me. I don't no. get it. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, that's like the proper local experience, isn't it? Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. OK, have to go. And you're going back in the summer, I guess, because they're, they're switched, aren't they? In yes. terms of the season, you don't want to be there maybe in the winter, right? Because that'd be quite It'll harsh. Be- now when i go back it'll be spring going into summer um yeah. but when i was there i was in patagonia until may so yeah oh, okay like oh, wow, yeah. winter and like yeah we saw snow it yeah. was cold <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> awesome okay patagonia is on my list um a lot of people either choose chile or argentina right but i guess they're both roughly the same they say that chile is more impressive in terms of like mountains being more pointy and like taller like steeper and taller and things like that but um yeah. The time that I was there, they they still had like quite hectic uh, entry requirements for COVID. Oh, like you had COVID. to yeah, you yeah. had to warn the Chilean government like a month in advance that you were planning to go, and then you had to get approval, and like it was a whole thing. So I was like, I'll just not do that now. It's a headache. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Cool. So the last mini subject before we get onto the travel feature questions, um, you did start a podcast in Indonesia called Belonging Abroad Podcast, but you are revamping that and kind of rewriting what you want to do with that. Yeah. Um, so what's your thinking there? Yeah. So, I mean, it originally just started as like literally something that I wanted to have to document my travels because I'm really bad at like keeping a travel diary as much as I think I would love to. I never yeah. actually do it. The practicalities. You think you're good doing it. Nah, it's tough. Yeah. It? And it's a shame because the idea came because I, I started realizing that I've started forgetting details about my travels from the beginning of my travel time. And I really don't want to forget anything. I want to capture mm. it. So like Obviously, in a journal, it's not going to happen. I mean, I shared like um, we were talking about before we officially went on the record. <laughs> I used to share a lot on my on my Instagram. Oh, no, we even talked about it in the podcast yeah. um, a lot on Instagram and stuff. But um, that kind of takes you out of the present moment. And, you know, it's kind of short, short form and very consumable, like we talked about. So I don't know. And I landed on a podcast as like a possible optimal way to mm. to communicate this and also document it. And I didn't have any kind of intention of like doing anything with it other than just like having it for myself and my family and friends and whatever. Yeah. Um. So I just kind of started with with no real plan. I had no idea about podcasting, completely self-taught myself how to do all this. And it was cool. Um, the editing took me such a long time. <laughs> so I I did a few episodes of that and just, I don't know, like I had, I had a travel burnout. I was really like needing to do nothing for a little bit. And so I kind of, the podcast fell by the wayside, but now I'm picking it back up slowly and I'm revamping it, like you said. Um, I'm going to move it away from like me just talking <laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping to do more like interview based stuff. And that's yeah. going to be too like two pronged approach. Like on the one hand, I want to interview like, cause I have a lot of friends that are also like 
full-time nomads. And I think like to the point we were talking about before, it's important to, for people who might be interested in this lifestyle, but you know, like I was when I was a teenager, might be interested, but don't know how to start or it feels really overwhelming or it feels really like impossible to grasp, like, oh, but that's only for a certain type of person or whatever it may be. Like maybe they don't resonate with me, but maybe they resonate with some friend that I might have that I could have on an interview and they could be a totally different type of traveler with a totally different type of skill set and job and whatever. And maybe Mm. the listener might see themselves in them instead. So I want to really like have that representation across the board and show like, hey, look, this full-time travel thing is not it's not one type of person that does this. Like there are yeah. so many different ways to do it and you can really yeah. make it your own. Um, and then on the flip side, I also want to incorporate, this actually was inspired by my time in Bali, uh, interviews with locals in wherever I go. Yeah. Um, still That's trying my... to figure out how to work around possible language barriers and stuff. But um, yeah, because I think like, you know, travel is such a like overly, um, it's not a very like representative yes. space, let's say. Yeah. Like it's a lot of like white girls <laughs> going around <laughs> just sort of like, talking about I went here and this is what I saw and it's like that's cool that has value in one way but like what about just passing the microphone to the people who are there and the mm. people who live there and the people who grew up there and what are the, what is their experience exactly know? yeah yeah it has to be the way um, yeah. have it be a bit more like travel journalism maybe um that's that's the idea I have right now but in terms of any more details than that I, I don't know yet <laughs> no that's great so, that's great I think you're going in the yeah. right direction yeah yeah like even for Greece in December I'm now trying to arrange some locals right just trying to get nice and uh, then to come on the podcast and talk about you know, how do they see life there and what's the best thing to going to see that maybe you don't read or hear about. Um, yeah, nice. I love that. Yeah. I can't wait to hear, like, to listen to that episode. You should do a Spanish one. <laughs> Put me on the spot right there. Or, or Latin, the Latin America, like, get your Spanish one on the go. It's huge. <laughs> I didn't even thought about that, but yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm a bit shy. <laughs> uh, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. And so the best place to find you is TikTok. Yeah. Best place to find me is TikTok. Yes, definitely. What are you doing on there? I just share things that I think will be useful um, about like my experience traveling um, things that people might not have thought of or like things I've learned or like cool places I've been. I just try to keep it like lighthearted and share like, I don't know, raw thoughts as they come up. (laughs) My, my overall aim with all of this is just to like, if someone's on the fence about doing it or if someone knows that they want to do it, but they don't know how I want to kind of be that, like, that push of like, you can do it. And cause I've done it. And like, this is everything that I know about how I've done it. So like, I hope this helps you to get yourself out there. Okay. There's another TikTok I follow who does a similar thing is while she's away. Have you seen that? Oh my God. Yes. Deanny. Oh, okay. Danny. So crazy that you mentioned her. I am going to be on her podcast. I did an interview with her a couple of weeks ago. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 I guess when this comes out, that will also be out. That comes out in November. Um, so amazing. And we actually connected through TikTok. And yeah. just immediately became like huge fans of each other because like yeah. we, we do the same thing. I think. Yeah. We do the same thing. And we also just have the same like personality. We're also the same age. We have very similar backstories. And like the craziest thing is I'm going to Serbia on Wednesday to see family and stuff. Yeah. And she was currently volunteering kind of close to the border of Croatia and Serbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're going to meet up. We're actually going to meet up next Saturday. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. There you go. She's brilliant because she's quite raw. So you get to see... Yeah not just the upside but the reality of it of, of that type yes. of travels i guess that's why she's really popular and i guess why you're really popular is because not much bullshit you know you can sugarcoat a lot of things on social media but i i think i guess because it's so raw and it's so true a lot of yeah. people are, are checking you guys out oh that's interesting Thank you. i appreciate that i appreciate that yeah it's true like i mean i grew up in the time where instagram was at its height like what 2015 16 you know it yeah. was really like manicured travel photos like filters everyone was selling a bloody preset pack you know what i mean and it's it's just kind of like this aspirational thing that i think 
young people now see through that bullshit and they're just like, yeah. mm, don't like this. Like, you know, I mean, the rise of Be Real is a perfect example of this just not being it anymore. Um, and I think that I never want people to leave my page thinking that like it's this manicured life, that it's like super glamorous, that mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know, I got it all together and like it's just effortless. And no, it's ugly. No, like yeah, yeah. matted hair, sweating my ass out in an airport <laughs> with like you know what I mean? <laughs> my toothbrush in my back pocket. Like, it's not cute. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, I think Instagram's on its way down because of that. They're, they're trying to That's go to true. videos and they're, they're way too late and a bit shit with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but okay. So where can people find you on social media and or website? Uh, TikTok mainly. Yes. Yeah. Jet Set Julia. Yes. I'll put the link in the show notes so people can access that. And I guess if you want to check out your first three episodes of your podcast, they can. That's on Spotify, right? Apple Podcasts. Yes. They can if they exactly. want. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's on Spotify and I think Apple Podcast as well. Yeah, so you can check that out. I'll put the link in the show notes for that as well. And do you have a website? Not yet. Oh, yeah. It's on, it's on a list. Okay, cool. <laughs> I have the domain. <laughs> <laughs> it's com, but there's nothing on it yet. Cool. Awesome. We'll keep an eye out for that. And yeah, I'll put all the links in the show notes. So that'd be cool. Cool. Thank you. We're going to finish the episode. I'm going to bark some questions at you. This has probably been before we get to that. One of the best conversations I've had in terms of candidly speaking about the full-time travel lifestyle. Wow. I don't get many people who come on who are actually full-timers per se. Like, you know, like people might take six months out and talk about that trip, which is absolutely brilliant. Then they're back to like real life, which yeah. is absolutely fine. We, we get that six-month experience where they went, what they did, who they saw. But there's not many people who come on and you don't have like one time. You're just doing it now as we speak. Like you're going to Patagonia next week or a couple of weeks. You're going to Serbia on Wednesday. Like it's one after the other, right? So I've not had too many mm -hmm. conversations like that. So it's been quite cool to hear from your point of view what it's been like. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Mm. So and it's been really good fun. I've I've learned a lot. Mm, awesome. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the conversation too. I I love that we went on like a slightly political tangent. I love that we were talking about yeah, yeah. like yeah. <laughs> you know the the state of society at the moment and where it's going. And I I always I could talk about that for hours <laughs> as yeah. we've done. <laughs> That's why I'm a long form. <laughs> Thank you for podcast. that and all these yeah. couple questions. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's why people tune in for those conversations, right? Okay, quick fire travel questions finishes the episode. These are your favorite travel things. You don't know what's coming. I left that on purpose. So we're going to start with... Hey, yeah, just a quick one before we carry on with the travel questions. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with Tee Public, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcasts, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. The top three favorite countries that you travel to. Top three favorite countries. Okay, Argentina is one of them for sure. Yeah. Um, what else? I'm going to say Germany, um, just because I'm obsessed with Berlin. I've been to Berlin several times for longer periods of time and love it. Um, yeah. But I, I know everyone says it's not representative of Germany, but we're going to go with Germany. Yeah. Um, and then the third one, I'm going to say Greece. Yeah. 
because there's it's a special place for me you know with the story i told you about crete and i actually mm. ended up going back the next year and spending six months of the pandemic in the same place um so it has a very like sentimental value to me and i see myself maybe even settling down in crete one day so i'm gonna go oh, with greece interesting mm. okay that's awesome and three countries that you've not traveled to that you'd love to travel to next oh easier to answer oh my god okay mongolia number one can't wait to yeah. go to mongolia <laughs> uh, oh, I have so many. Okay, Mongolia is one of them. Colombia is one of them. I'm very yeah. excited for Colombia. Yeah, top and, five. Um, yeah, definitely. And um, Lebanon is also up there. I would love to go to Lebanon. Yeah, someone else said Lebanon the other day. Okay. And if you could pick one country in the world to live in that you've not lived in before, where would you live? That's really hard to say because it's all based on assumption, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would assume something South American. Um, I don't oh, know, yeah. maybe. Yeah, maybe Colombia. Mm. Do you know what? I think exactly the same. Not been, but I think I'd like it there. And I think I'd like to live there for a bit. Yeah, I have a few friends that have been in the last year or two, and they all have very good things to say. And I mean, I know, obviously, it's not Argentina. It's not the same. They're two completely different countries on opposite ends of the mm. continent. But like... Um, this just this i think there are some things in common across the continent this like liveliness this like love of life this very social very community-based you know again all assumptions but um i mean the music is fire too they know how to party like it, there's just so many things the food is going to be amazing like i think i would really enjoy it okay and what about a favorite beach that you've seen Ooh. okay favorite beach favorite beach um the first one that came to mind uh <laughs> i'm so boring it's crete again <laughs> <laughs> The first one that came to mind was this place called Agio Farago, which is, I think it's in the south of Crete. Um, and you can only get there. So you have to drive like all good beaches in Greece. They're yeah. incredibly difficult to get to, right? Like yeah. you have to drive for ages and then you drive onto a dirt road and you're on a dirt road going down like a canyon for like half an hour. And then you park and then you have to hike half an hour through a gorge, which is lined with flowers if you go in the right time of year. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and then you end up at a tiny little bay with the bluest water you've ever seen. And like no one else is there because who would do that? <laughs> who would know that it's there? Yeah. Um, and so it's wonderful. You can spend the day there. It's yeah, it's gorgeous. Okay. And what about, do you have, do you drink coffee? I love coffee. Cool. So if you can pick one city in the world to drink coffee and watch the world go by, where would you sit and drink your coffee? <gasps> and watch the world go by? Mm. Oh, this is a good question. Um, sit and watch the world go by. Maybe Istanbul. Ooh. I haven't been yeah. yet. I haven't been there yet, but I can just answer. imagine... I can just imagine that it's quite the intersection of all kinds of different oh, yeah. cultures, places, people. Like, it would just be really cool to see what is going on. There's also cats everywhere. And there's also, from what I've heard and seen from friends of mine that have been, like, lots of, like, live music or, like, mm. just, like, life is in the street. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, like, yeah. whereas, like, in Europe, life is in the house and it's just kind of, like... Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a cool place to just kind of soak it up. Also, I love Turkish coffee. Like in Serbia and in Greece, we make coffee the same way that the Turks do. Yeah. So that's also like a little piece of home. Uh -huh. Yeah. That, that's my next question. Your favorite coffee in terms of a country. Are you going to go Turkish coffee? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's how I make my coffee in the mornings. Fair People enough. come to me with like filtered coffee. I'm like, no, no, none of this shit. I need my turbo. <laughs> I need my nitro power up. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Two popular answers in that question are Italian coffee and Turkish coffee. Yeah, that's a pop popular tea. Nice. Okay. And what about a favorite trek or walk? Favorite trek. Oh, it's also sentimental. I mean, it has to be Patagonia. I who is gonna go to Patagonia and not say that Patagonia is their favorite? Um, there was this one walk that I did in Patagonia, which wasn't even a walk because it's not a marked trail. Um, basically right. from, from this popular camping ground that you can get to, 
um what a lot of people do is they camp in this campground and then they hike up to like the um you know the famous photo of patagonia is like the three peaks with like the lake in front of it like the yeah. um what's it called laguna de los tres i think it's what it's called okay um, that's the name is yeah so from that campground you can go in a different direction and you get to a viewpoint where you can see a different lake with like mountains behind it and a glacier and all this but when i was at the viewpoint i could see people at the actual lake itself and i was like mm. okay so it's possible to get there because i can see that person there so i went off <laughs> to try to find how to get there and there was no path it was just kind of like go in the general direction until you find it so it was lots of climb clambering over boulders lots of like crossing rivers and like trying to trying to find the way wow. and then eventually eventually we did and then there was even a sign that said like danger do not advance because it's like falling boulders and stuff and we were like well we've seen people here so like it must be not that bad so yeah went up <laughs> all, the way, all the way up to the lake and then just kind of like sat on this big rock and just like stared at the glacier for like two hours and talked about life and then came back so it was it was very good okay. <laughs> nice okay yeah. and this next question i think i might know the answer but i'm gonna say anyway favorite city Ooh, can i give two <laughs> yeah go on in. berlin and buenos aires Okay, cool. I, I thought Berlin might be the answer, but I think Buenos Aires from what you said. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. What about a favorite party place? Where's a good party? Such not creative answers on my part. Favorite party place? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. There's so many different kinds of parties and like different parts of the world party in different ways. Probably Argentina just generally. Yeah. Because Berlin that. obviously is famous for nightlife and stuff, but it's. It, I feel like it's all quite samey after a while. Yeah, diehard Berliners are going to hear this and be like, "What is she talking about?" Um, <laughs> but I just feel like, like in Argentina, there's so much more variety in the types of parties because there's a mm. huge tech scene in Argentina too. Um, they actually look up to Berlin a lot, um, so you yeah. can get that there. But then you also get all the traditional. You get like cumbia, you get all the tango parties, you get like um, cuarteto, and you get like all kinds of you know more commercial stuff, and then like their own Argentinian trap. And there's just a lot of diversity, so you can see a lot okay. of different kinds of. <laughs> <laughs> And I like my options, so I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. And what a favourite landmark can be man-made or nature? Edinburgh is the first thing that came into mind. So probably some... Oh, yeah, okay. Arthur's Seat in Edinburgh. Arthur's Seat? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Just feels okay. like home. You get three for this one. So favourite countries, cuisine or food? Mm, perfect, because I have three ready to go. Mexican, go. Lebanese, and Thai. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Love that. Three good foods there. What has been a country that you traveled to that's been the best value for your money? Ooh, best value for money. I mean, mm. Indonesia is going to have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And a few more questions. A favorite high adrenaline activity that you've done on your travels? <laughs> My life is a high adrenaline activity. <laughs> Adrenaline activity. Okay, I haven't done it yet, but um, my boyfriend, we've said that we both want to jump out of a plane and we both of us have never done it and both of us are terrified to do it, but both of us all really want to do it. Skydive. So this is waiting for me. Skydive, yeah, this is waiting for me when I go back. <laughs> oh, so good. I've done it twice and be. it's on my list again. Yeah, yeah, you got to do it. You've done it twice. How was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was that good the first time. I went second time. Yeah, it's true that. Mm. True that, true that. There's two parts to it, right? There's like the, the free fall, 30 seconds to a minute. You're yeah. just falling through the air. You don't even realize like, how fast you're going. And yeah. just like get twizzled around and like just breathe through your nose. Don't breathe through your mouth because you can't because you're falling at such a height and so fast. Okay, good the tip. Thank you. Number tip, breathe through your nose when you're, when you're free diving. So you can twizzle around, see all the views, clear day, um, unbelievable. And then when he pulls the parachute, you've got this like serene, just like gliding mm. down to the ground. It's it's a cool, cool experience. Like people say that will bungee jump. I'm like, well, bungee jump lasts 10 seconds. I'm like, fuck that. I want to do like... I'm also terrified of the whiplash of bungee jump. And uh, I also uh, yeah, like the... No. Yeah. And I'm also like, I feel like it'd be even more scary because you have some kind of concept of how high up you are. 
So you're like, oh, I'm really yes. high up. Oh my God. But in the plane, you kind of can't understand how high you are. So it doesn't yeah. feel so scary. This is yeah. my theory, at least. But I have thought of something else in this chit chat. I have done paragliding, which I imagine oh. is similar to the second half of the skydive. Paragliding was cool, but it wasn't enough adrenaline for me. I did, <laughs> I did it, oh, and I was like, oh, that was it. Oh um, right, okay. I that's on my top top list to do is paragliding. Yeah. I mean, I would do it. It was really fun. Like you get to run off a cliff. How cool is that? Like it yeah. was really cool. Um, but and then also, but I think my real answer for this question that of things that I have already done is go karting. Ah, okay. Yeah, I love a go kart. Yeah, yeah, that's good fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That bit of competitiveness trying to win. Yeah. Hundred percent. Aries, okay. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and the last question for the whole podcast is words of advice or wisdom could you pass on to someone who is maybe considering to go traveling, whether that's short term, medium or long term, and is not quite sure how to do it or why they should go? What would you pass on as the reason that they should go? Oh, because you are going to become a more empathetic and compassionate person. Your eyes are going to be open to so much more than you could have imagined. And that sounds so cliche and like, it's a kind of a vapid statement just like this, but like you're going to see different facets to the world. Your faith in humanity is going to be restored. Like there's nothing quite like it. Like it's kind of an uncanny valley. You feel like you're living normal life, but like not like, you know, mm. because all the things you do are the same. You still wake up, you still eat breakfast, you still go yeah. for walks, you still go to sleep. It's all like normal life, but in like another dimension. And you're going to grow really fast as a person, you're going to become much more resilient. And I think the most important is you're going to trust yourself so much more. And this will translate in everything in life. You're going to have so much more confidence in your relationships. You're going to have so much more confidence, like negotiating for jobs. You're going to have so much more confidence in everything because you start to trust yourself rather than trust systems around you. And this is priceless. Yeah, that's a great comment that. Yeah, you trust yourself around the systems around you. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Okay. Julia, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a great, Thank you great so chat and really good fun. Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome. I really enjoyed it too. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for sharing your wisdom and your lifestyle and where you're off to next and all your travel adventures. I really appreciate it. And no doubt, I think you will probably come on again at some point. And hopefully awesome. it'll be in person. We can do it in person one day. Maybe that'd be pretty cool. I would love it. Put it out there. Put it to the universe. Make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks so it. much. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel Podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last 8 to 10 years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling. And I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.